and welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast about our gaming group. I am one of your hosts, Tom Donnelly, and today I am joined by the Game Breaker, my brother Paul. How you doing, Paul? Oh, hello, everyone. Bow, I'm bow, doing bow. great. You doing great? Yep. <laughs> and uh, joining Paul is his sidekick, the opinionated gamer Ben Mandelker. Ben, how you doing? What's going on? It feels like just yesterday that the three of us were here talking Fields of Arl. It is true. We have the same great crew from two episodes ago. Yeah. We've just switched it up. And now, uh, you know, Ben is Robin to Paul's Batman. Uh, <laughs> and Chris O'Donnell version. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, makes, uh, that makes Paul Clooney. That's pretty good. Yeah. Maddie, un- unfortunately, is recovering from a tragic miniature painting accident, but the doctors are now certain that all of the orcs have been removed. Well, with his uh, latest game shipment, I think Maddie is recovering at home, microdosing on some cosmic frogs. Uh, I heard that Matt was just trying to avoid the wrath of Sandra, his supervisor, in the car factory. <laughs> <laughs> Kanban! Kanban! Little Kanban deep cut. I told you I'd have a nerdy one, guys. It was really good. It was really good. So uh, wherever he is, Matty is not with us. But this is round nine, turn six. And we're going to be talking about uh, this. Maybe the first time we've done this, actually. We're going to be talking about a game that you cannot get today. We're going to be talking about the 2021 release of Brick and Mortar, which is currently on Kickstarter, and when you hear this, you will have, um, or when this comes out, four days. you will have four days left, exactly, four days left to hop on it or not hop on it, spoiler alert, no, we're not, gonna, we're not even going to spoil it, maybe you'll like it, maybe you won't, we're going to see. Um, what say That's we talk? spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's great, really... Really tipped our hand there. <laughs> well, I was going to spoil it, but then I realized, you know what? I don't think there's anything to spoil because we are we are not of uh, of completely like minds on this one. It's going to be a fun discussion. I'm really excited about it. Yes, and uh, since we went super long last time and didn't even get in a sommelier, let's move right along and let's get into this week's game night. Um, I'll start. I'll start for me. Well, obviously, we've been playing brick and mortar some. I uh, played a little bit of Wavelength, which was uh, which was a lot of fun. Still love that game. Absolutely. Uh, got an Imperial Struggle in, which I was super excited about. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons is continuing to go on. I'll talk about that in the games in the brain segment. And uh, last but not least, the three of us also played us some Maria. Hmm. Yeah. Actually, Paul. Paul and I are double dipping in the Maria pool because. Uh, you've been very busy. You've had you've had a lot of just like work stuff this week, and so true. Um, uh, one of the one of the reasons why we started playing Maria is because uh, uh, you and Paul were originally gonna were planning to review it for this episode. The, the three of us, the three of us were we're gonna like, right, uh, but meaning uh, that like, and then I was invited along as Robin, you know, my little cape. <laughs> <laughs> well, and yeah, and also, so and so we started playing it. Well, also realize you have, since you joined the podcast, essentially every episode have mentioned, <laughs> I own a copy of Maria. It is sitting on my shelf. It has never been used, and it's staring at me, yelling at me every time I, I look at my games. It, 
it's true. It's true. So when Paul Paul had mentioned it and like, hey, we're thinking about playing Maria for the, the game review. I was like, I am I'm very much in. So the three of us started playing a game and um and then you got pulled away for work obligations. So we will resume. But in the meantime, Paul and I were like, why don't we we, we know that if the if even if the review isn't happening on this episode, there will be a review at some point. And yeah. like this feels like a game that's gonna require like several plays. So we started playing with our friend Nick. And uh, we're still in the middle of that game, and we—it's the game is like unfolding like a nighttime soap, basically. Like we play <laughs> a full year. It's very yeah. intense. It's great. It feels like every it, like it ends with the cliffhanger. We go to sleep, and I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen next. Like the latest cliffhanger is so good, I cannot wait to tune in to our game. It's it's an amazingly intense game, isn't it? For oh my ga- God, for a game that it, it's it's essentially. Your only your the only components are a few pieces on the board that all move an exact number of spaces. Like essentially, you can move your various pieces on the board through somewhere between two and four spaces generally, and you have a hand of cards that are essentially playing cards. And from that very very limited amount of components, they have created this amazingly deep and and fraught game, right? Yeah, I mean fraud. Yes, fraud is a good word. <laughs> <laughs> this is like this is it's so fraud. It's like freaky fraud because it's just it's so intense. We, I mean, I, I I'm not joking. Like I I sound like I'm just sort of making jokes here, but um, this game that Paul and I have going on with Nick is really like, it's go like so night one ended and um I had made a bold move. And I, I thought I was like really happy with my bold move because I don't often make bold moves. So I was like, yeah, I made a bold move. And then um, Nick was like, well, I'll see your bold move and I'll bold move you twice. And he attacked me. I actually got I, I right before the night ended. I actually was in a series of combats in this game. And Nick really just like took me down. Mm-hmm. And so we ended screws that first to, year. What'd you say? Put the screws to you. He put the big time screws to my little pragmatic army. But the thing was, actually, you also were battling me, I think, in in Austria or somewhere. And basically, um, uh, the game is played over years. And so, like, at the end of the year one, which is essentially, like, four rounds, three or four rounds, um, I had really taken some hits. And I was like, I, I don't know how this is... I don't know how this is going to... Like, like end of episode one was like, this is it for Ben. And then episode <laughs> two began. And, like, I just won these, like, two epic battles out of nowhere. And, like cause like someone to full on die and i was like oh my god i'm back in this and like it totally switched the entire other way i'm like i can't wait to it it feels like we're on the verge of something major happening in this game and i feel like i've peaked i'll be honest i think i've peaked i've come really close to victory i know i'm peaking but i'm like enjoying being in this place right now where i'm like i can taste the victory if you're short on tactical cards and in particular the right suits you are in big trouble but nobody knows for sure if you're in trouble it's it's amazing um so <laughs> oh. uh, so it sounds like you were playing the pragmatic army and uh, and prussia um yeah. i'm going to guess paul did you did you switch over to austria I did. <laughs> and I'm getting Stinks, pummeled. doesn't it? Stinks. <laughs> I gave pummeled, pummeled. But it's, it's uh, you know, not to tip our game, but, like, you know, in the end, uh, France is almost winning, but it's requiring that uh, Austria and uh, the Pragmatic defend, I mean, not, 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 uh, Prussia and the Pragmatic defend Austria or they will lose. Yes. So, in fact, I have, I'm just sitting there just gaining cards. Well, and, that's the thing. And, Paul is going to win. 
he is going to win because right he because I Nick has the way the game works just so real quickly is that um, you have a bunch of these victory markers in your like little pool and you have to sort of get them out of your pool. And the moment you get them out of your pool, you win. And Nick has, and you get I think, them by capturing. And you get them by capturing territories. Yeah, and Maria's, a whole bunch of it, other. It's a three-player-only game that is based on the War of Austrian Succession. So one power is Austria, another power is France, and another power is primarily Prussia. Yeah, and basically, I think Nick has three left, and I think I have three. Yeah. I think Nick and I both have three. Nick left, has I two. Nick two, has and two. I've got three. You have three, but, and I have like five. You have five, which is like. Oh, Paul seems so far away, but five is not crazy. And oh. I, and, and like two of my, three of mine are extremely precarious. It's like longest road in Catan where it's like, Oh, I'm two points up. And then in a flash, you're like down. And, um, I am, uh, I, that's why I feel like I'm close to, I think I've peaked because <laughs> now I'm in a situation where I'm pinned. We, we having to defend Paul's stupid places. <laughs> Can you guys tell what what our next review for the three of us is going to be? <laughs> because we're 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 absolutely obsessed with this. Um, anyway, great. those are the games that I played this week. What games did you guys play other than what we just discussed? Paul, uh, I played nothing. Just just brick and mortar and Maria. Those are my two. Um, I played Maria. Obviously, um, I uh, I also got my very first plan of Architects of the West Kingdom um, the day after the election, ah. which was. Great. I loved it. Oh, my God. I thought that was fantastic. I loved that game. It is my, am, it is my favorite of those games by, by, I thought a, it was just by a fair march, margin. Yeah. Fantastic. Like, I can't like I would be playing that again already if it weren't for like also Maria and brick and mortar. And also uh, I got in my second play just last night of Anno 1800, which uh, I am uh, I'm really enjoying. I have a few reservations. I thought it'd be an instant buy for me. Um, but it's not quite instant buy there. I'm like, I'm was getting your, was your close. second play. Was your second play more positive than your first? Because you, oh, yeah. you, you talked to me after your first play and you were like, I'm not sure about this. And, and are you, are you moving? Yeah. Is the needle moving in the, uh, in the buy direction? Needle. Yeah. I mean, needle doesn't have to work very hard to move to the buy direction for me. I'm <laughs> compulsive like that, especially now that I see it sold out. I saw it was sold out in one place. I'm like, Oh, now I really need to get it. But, um, uh, I, and we're talking about ordering, ordering from uh, ordering from Europe, correct? It's it was sold out. Yeah, at the, um, uh, it was sold out. Uh, that's yeah. why I'm now like, uh. but yeah. um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I played two player with Matt, mm. and uh, it was really fun. Like I really I enjoy the I enjoy the actions and decisions you make during in the game, which is arguably maybe one of the most important things. But there were some aspects where I was like, huh, like um. You can spend the game is basically like you um, you have resource A and resource B and you spend both of them to you activate resource A and resource B to create resource C. And then now you can use resource A and C together to make D or maybe B and C together to make E. You know, it's like yeah. you start making crazier and crazier things. Uh, I can see why Elder would love this game. Elder, oh you know, I guess it's like, uh, yeah, no, it's crazy. It's, it's well, we, totally elders. We will be yeah. reviewing that coming up soon. Uh, basically, the uh, the Essen games, the games that would have premiered at the Essen Spiel Fair, um, are coming out now, and, and they're being released, mm -hmm. and we're getting our hands on them. And as much as we can, with their with 2020 being what 2020 is, we are going to be uh, uh, diving into those, and we're going to be reviewing as many of them as we can before uh, before this uh, this horrible horrible year finally comes to a close, uh, yeah. gentlemen, can we can we move on to the game news? I just want to make Absolutely. sure that we have enough time to. Oh, I probably, in fact, I'll probably just I'll circle back to Anno eighteen hundred probably later in our discussion about balance. How about that? I love it. 
Oh, uh, and also, I'm playing a game of Tate Walking with Alfred asynchronously on BGA because he's just had a baby since uh, the last time. Oh, yes, he has. Congratulations, Alfred uh, Clementine. Amazing. Congratulations. So happy. Congratulations. So happy for you. All right. On with the news. The news. Good evening, Mr. Lissanopoulos, half an hour. All the ships and clippers at sea. Let's go to press. Can you feel something in the air? Can you feel something special in the air? Can you feel money leaving Maddie's bank account? Because Chip Theory Games has a Kickstarter campaign for their newest game. It's called Burn Cycle. It is from designers Josh and Adam Carlson. They are cousins. And uh, this one is a puzzly infiltration game for one to four players. Uh, Cyberpunky. We are uh, robots in the far future. We are trying to take down evil human-run corporations, which... By the way, that that means we're we're basically Skynet trying to take down the the humans in the game, which is interesting. Um, and this is a uh, it's supposed to work very well as a solo game and to work as a cooperative. This may be the first cooperative game that Maddie likes. We will see. Oh, I know. I, I'm gonna bet against that. <laughs> <laughs> he he has a strong he has a strong aversion to cooperative. That is for sure. But it it feels a lot like Netrunner in terms of the the not just the realm, not just the world, but also some of the design decisions seem to be a little Netrunnery. And Maddie and I love Netrunner to death. We think it's one. It was one of the greatest card games ever ever made. Um, it also has a little bit of. Uh, of Robo Rally in it, in that the game is going to it, it's going to challenge you in terms of action sequencing. The game is going to decide uh, randomly which programming directives and what order they can happen in. So, let's say there are physical, digital, and command actions. The game is going to tell you that the first thing must be a command action, the second thing must be this particular type of this, and so on and so forth. And so you have to choose with your hand of cards, what you're going to do, given that you would love to play A, B, C, and D, but now the game is telling you you got to go D, then C, then A, then B. How do you do that? Do you spend one of your rare action dice to ignore the the order and do it the way you want to do? Um I've always I always thought that um, that Robo Rally was a really interesting game that I couldn't that just w- it went on too long and it was just a little too hard for what it for what it wanted to be. But the idea of programming your robots and then seeing what happens, I always thought was really really great. And I was hoping somebody would take some of those mechanisms and utilize them in a different way. And it seems like that's what Burn Cycle is doing. It's very interesting. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, my money, uh, I, I would bet three to one that Matt would not enjoy this as a cooperative. <laughs> as a solo, three to one. <laughs> All right, just between you and me and the wall, that's why I'm not backing it. I am not yeah. backing it because Matty's going to buy it, and then he's going to not want to play it, and then I'm going to get it. It's <laughs> oh, a good pipeline you got there. Well, you know, sometimes, sometimes. Uh, next up, Etherfields. Etherfields is a game. I don't think we've uh, I don't think we've talked about it yet, but it is uh, a 2020 release uh, by Mikhail Or Orats. Orats. <laughs> is that how you pronounce his name? Um, it looks uh, sort of like Michael Oras, but I don't know. I don't. I, 
don't you know i, I should not be weighing in on so, this so 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 <laughs> michael is the designer I, I never know how to pronounce his name he he designed neuroshima hex which was a very very popular game in the early two early 2000s cry havoc which is a very good game and this war of mine which was a video game that he adapted into a very successful successful board game the publisher is awakened realms awakened realms uh, it did this uh, this war is mine this is a narrative cooperative game. So if you're thinking Tainted Grail, if you're thinking Gloomhaven, you're kind of in the right space. But this one is all based on dreams. And the early word is really is that it is really, really interesting. Maybe not perfect, but really tremendously interesting and very much unlike any other uh, dungeon crawler. There are elements in this game where when you pick your character or when you pick your aspect that you are in the dream world, you don't get to see the back of it. You don't get to know what that means. So, for instance, in most of these games, if I choose the barbarian, I know I'm going to be the strong one, right? And so you're kind of min-maxing in your decisions in the early game. This game doesn't let you do that. There's a large amount of mystery in this game as you're going to enter these nightmarish dreamscapes. Each adventure is very, very different from every other adventure. And the early word, like I said, the early word is fantastic. It even has some escape room elements. There are, in some of the art sometimes, there are little hidden clues and things like that. And if you're paying really close attention, uh, you can unlock secrets that you wouldn't otherwise be able to unlock. Uh, I, you know... Go ahead. It has the most amazing box I've ever seen on a game. And, like, I'm not a person who talks about boxes for, for board games, but, like, <laughs> the box, it, it's it's stunning. <laughs> it, uh, not better than Concordia. The, Sorry. The miniatures are really cool. <laughs> the, the... <laughs> wow. Wow. The miniatures are really cool looking. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a miniature guy, so don't take my word for it. Take a look at them yourself. Um, but everything I've been hearing about this game, Tom Vassell raved about it. Rado right. raved about it. Rado, you know, Rado, Rado raves about a lot of things. He raves but, about a lot, but I like it. I like when he raves. But, but he did, yes. But he, but it did sound like this was a of particular interest to both of these guys. Um and a lot of other people that have been that have been playing early copies of it seem to think it is something pretty special. So consider that. I have to. I have to say, I'm looking at the uh, looking at on Board Game Geek right now, and it does have a very interesting and cool box. And what's interesting is to the right, I'm being served a, a nice internet ad for Brass Birmingham. Very similar <laughs> look and look and style and color palette. I got to give it to Brass Birmingham on this one, but that's still very good company. I know this is not what we're here for, but uh, it's well, in front you know, of me. I have to comment. You know, you know, the Midlands of England are a dark, horrific dreamscape. So a dark puddle. It's great. The beauty of a dark puddle. Um, other news: Harry Potter board game on Kickstarter, Cash the Snitch, has been canceled. They shut it down, and they said, and I quote, the current situation of uncertainty in the world derived from the electoral campaign in the United States is negatively affecting our Kickstarter. Um, what? Uh, what? Uh, what? Uh, no, just say, okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, what? I don't, uh, that's a, don't blame, uh, the Harry Potter is British, don't blame us. <laughs> yeah. Look, they, they were looking to raise $450,000. When it got canceled, they'd only raised $64,000. Um, I'm going to 
respectfully suggest that maybe there are a couple other things to play. First of all, uh, the cheapest version of the game on Kickstarter came to $120 US. The fancy edition, $350 for what essentially is a Quidditch board game. I don't know if that is the primary draw of the Harry Potter crowd. I don't think, you know, I think they, college students enjoy playing Quidditch and all that sort of stuff, but I'm not sure a board game version of Quidditch is what people are looking for. I'll also say, who knows, maybe the mm-hmm. the recent turf... Backlash. Yes, exactly. The Transphobic the, comments. The transphobic comments. Maybe this might be uh, a, a point of uh, of that starting. Like, I, I don't, from what I've heard so far, I don't think her book sales are hurting particularly, but guess what? If, you, if, if I have an, an 11-year-old kid, they are going to want to read Harry Potter. They're not going to even, you know, they might not even know about any of, uh, any of that sort of stuff. But if you're going to be dropping $120 to $300 on a board game, you know, you're, you're, yeah. you're, the, the base of people who are going to be making that decision are going to be very aware of that. So maybe. And I, I think that, like, if, if someone is, is making transphobic comments, which is, by the way, totally unacceptable. I think I can imagine someone saying, I don't agree with those comments, but these books are treasures and I want like my kids to read them, et cetera. But then also saying, and that's where it ends. I'm not throwing any more money at a, at a board game to you support, go. you know, a woman who's saying these, not, not saying a woman. I'm just saying like this person sure. for saying that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> could you believe that woman? How could she? No. Um, I, I think it's, I, I can understand why, why, I, I my first thought was when I saw that it was canceled, I was like, my first thought was it had to have been par- partially or largely due to those transphobic comments. It's it's like totally um, backward thinking, unacceptable in 2020, and um, it's also if it did play a role in in why the Kickstarter failed to launch, that it's actually kind of cool that people saw that and felt that way, and uh, like that's sort of a great um, great. Uh, step forward in people's minds that they're, they're thinking like that. Hopefully that was what something that they thought about. I do. I hope that too. I hope that too. Um, moving on. We got a Gloomhaven adventure called fallen lion. You can pre-order it now. It's only four bucks, three ninety nine shipping in late December. It is a brand new adventure for the Gloomhaven jaws of the lion crew, 24 page story. Um, Heavily inspired by themes and mechanics found in the top-selling board game, so yeah, check it out. It sounds it sounds pretty cool. If you if you like that, you will love this. Um, there's a game that we have floating around here called Beyond the Sun, and looking back through uh, you know through the various episodes, I don't believe we've ever really talked about it. So we probably should real quick. Uh, Beyond the Sun 2020 release. It's one of the Essen releases that I was mentioning that we're that we're getting in. Dennis K. Chan is the designer, and it is a space civilization game that is very tech tree oriented. It has a very interesting tech tree where at the beginning of the game, you can develop one of four different techs, and then that will have two other techs from that that you can choose uh, choose from. And each one of those will have two cards that you would discover, and you can choose which of those two cards that you've discovered you're going to develop, and so on and so forth. So a very, very, uh, a tech tree that is going to be radically different each game. Uh, people that have been playing it so far say that it's a little like Kalis, 
uh, in that when you build a building in Kalos, uh, you unlock certain abilities and it changes the ease or difficulty of of doing various things in the game and building certain other types of buildings. So it seems like the tech tree kind of works that way. Um, and it also says that it, it, some people say that it, it also is a little bit, uh, a, a little bit like um, what's uh, Vladichvatel's classic, the uh, uh, through the ages. Yes, through the ages. Exactly right. Yeah, there's a little bit, a little bit of through the ages in that. Um, there are some dissenters, but a lot of people are saying that it could be uh, one of those hidden gems for this year. Well, let me tell you something. Yes, I this think- game Beyond the Sun is looking at you right now. It is sitting over my shoulder, Ooh. waiting to be played. <laughs> and in fact, uh, so uh, on election day, a lot of people talked about how the stress made them stress eat. I stress purchased, and I just I like just bought it off of Amazon. <laughs> I, just, I had heard from some people that it was, the, it was actually, actually Rado said it, and actually several others said this is one of the best tech trees in the history of board games. Tom Vassell gave it a rave review, said it maybe hit yes, the best game of the year. Yep. And I just kind of was like, I read, I took in enough inputs that I was like, ah, oh, I'm going to buy it. And so I bought it and it arrived. And, uh, it's and sitting then right next to Maria. Sitting next to Maria. And then Matt, <laughs> I told Matt that I bought you. it. I spread my disease to Matt and then he went and bought it. And what I, we have a play date set up. And what's going to happen is it's the sort of game that we can actually do this where we can both set up our copies of the game and FaceTime each other and we can play a game virtually that way because uh, we haven't found an online implementation yet. But um, I'm really excited for this one. Awesome. Love it. Love it. Uh, Wanderer's Guide is on Kickstarter right now. It's going to have about 18 days left to go when you see it. It is a it are fantasy maps for your RPG campaign. These are gorgeous looking maps, gotta say. So, uh, being a current Dungeons and Dragons player, never thought I would say that again. Um, there are some it, the the pages are dry erase, so you can open up the the book and and play right on that on that map. Um, you know, right now, you know, with on we're we're forced to play online. You know, and and Roll Twenty and and various other sites are really great at creating uh, a, a online implementation of maps, and and those are working pretty well for for me so far. Uh, but when people get to actually hang out together again and start playing these things, it it seems like a no brainer that uh, that a really quality product like Wanderer's Guide might be something you might be interested in. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's just give one more here. Last but not least, uh, Root has a clockwork expansion for online. Uh, it is going to introduce co-op play, and it has new uh, solo AIs that you can fight against. Essentially, uh, in, in, as you guys know from Root, there was a mechanical marquee uh, who was able to, it was a, an AI that would play against you in, in the board game or in the, or, or in the online implementation. Well, now there's a mar- uh, mechanical marquee 2.0, there's the electrical eerie, there's the automated alliance, and there's the vagabot. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? That, that is like so it. great. So they're, they're, they're robot versions of each of the four original factions that can play against you. And they have come up with a way that you can play as a team against the, the Automa, which I think is really, really amazing. $5.99 uh, available on all platforms. So 
I think uh, that's okay. instant buy for Matt. Instant buy for Matt. Right? Right? Don't you think? Oh, like, like, like I'm not, uh, I've never go. played Root, so I this is it's all it's all it's all new and exciting for me. Uh, yeah, uh, Root. I think what we decided is we played it, we saw the genius of it, and then we realized that oh, unfortunately. This is one of those games that we have to play over and over and over again to really make it sing the the the, the way we would want it to, and mm-hmm. we just have we you know we have a we have a podcast where we have to be reviewing a different game each week, and and that becomes very very hard to do that in, and I'll like at least with at like, least with jobs and you know yeah responsibilities but, as well. Like like for me like you know like I always liked Root for its asymmetry, mm. but uh, like the last game I played, uh, I lost. I lost. We uh, David Gillison won with the Vagabond. That's and, never. That's never a good feeling. Uh, it, it wasn't. But like, what was very interesting was like, you know, there's a certain degree of asymmetry, and his uh, power was so asymmetrical that it was like playing a completely different game. Yeah. And I kind of felt like that. That kind of took out the the win in the sales for me. I was like, oh, you know, I don't know if I enjoy this. The Vagabond is is. Well known to be uh, a little overpowered, perhaps, and uh, you know, it's a it's a matter of balance. Have we discussed what what we're going to be talking about <laughs> this round? In addition, I'm not sure that we have. So why don't we say, Paul, what are we going to be talking about after we've reviewed this wonderful game we have today? Uh, we're going to talk about the concept of balance in board games. Oh, interesting. Wow. Interesting. Great topic for today. Well, it is because we have some some things to talk about about balance with with uh, with root as we just brought up, which just came up today. We have it to discuss with, uh, with anno eighteen hundred. With anno eighteen hundred, we have it to discuss with uh, with the game we're brick reviewing, and brick and mortar, the game we're reviewing today, and we can also discuss it in Maria. So all of the things that we're into right now have some very, very interesting perspectives yes. on how to balance a game, which is really kind of cool. Let's get to Games on the Brain. Paul, what's on your brain right now? I don't have a game on my brain, although, like, because, you know, elections were, uh, like, you know, a week or two ago, like, I was thinking that I wish there was a podcast that talked about politics in for, in terms of gameplay and, and game tactics. And, like, you know, this party is doing this, and this, this uh, tactic tends to do this huh. thing to the game. And uh, I don't think I, there is a podcast that has that lens on it. Or maybe there is, and I just don't know about it. But, like, if anyone knows, let me know, because that's what was on my brain. I'll, I'll, bet you, I'll bet you there are wonks out there, there are policy wonks out there that have, that have some, some variation thereof, right? Some real yeah. inside-the-beltway people that, that, that you know, can look, at, uh, can look at politics dispassionately enough to describe it that way. Well, I mean, like, I remember, like, I've actually had this thought a while ago, like, like all the way back into, like, Clinton era, where Rock the Vote came about. Yeah. You know, and uh, and it was this, like, kind of, I don't want to say game-changing, but it was one of those things where, here's MTV, Rock the Vote, just vote, blah, blah, blah. But then, like, you know, a couple years later, like, you know, people who came up with, this, you know, the slogan said, like, oh, yeah, we totally knew that, like, uh, it was 
only to court the young vote. Like, you know, who's going to really, you know, care about, like, you know, this young kid, you got a choice between p- picking Clinton, who was playing saxophone on MTV, versus George W. Sr., who threw up eating sushi. Like, you know, like, which, you know, if a kid, an 18-year-old is going to go vote, who's he going to pick for? And, you know, it was, it was like a, it was a change in tactic, a tactic unlock, if, as you will. And it was, like, very interesting. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, one thing that made me really proud last week was uh, when we were watching, you know, the, it was, uh, I, I, it was election day, the day after with all this counting going on with the, all these states. And I, I believe I said in the last podcast or maybe one prior to that, that um, I finally got to play Mandala with my boyfriend who does not play games really. Mm-hmm. And it's a, just a little two player game and, and you are like playing cards here and playing cards there and you got to deal with these different things. And he said to me, he's like, He's like, there should be like a board game of this. It reminds me of that game we played where like, it's like, you got to put some energy here, but then you can't ignore it over here. And you got like, I mean, he was talking about like campaigning and dealing with these states, right? Because, you know, like as these states were getting close, it's like, oh, well, maybe this campaign had spent a little more time here. They may have been able to flip it there, et cetera. And I was like, actually, there are. <laughs> There are games like that. Did you, did you I, bring I said, out Demacher? I, 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 <laughs> like, well, all right. Demacher, but I, I told him that there was actually, you know, campaign manager 2008 with Obama and McCain. Like, it has been, ga- like, this specific situation has sort of been gamed. And it made me really proud that he took this experience from Mandala, which is a full-on abstract game, mm. but he was, like, it, it was in his head enough that he he saw how that could be applied to the election. And, you know, and then and then the other thing that was sort of cool about the election in terms of, you know, our lens as board game players was, I don't know about you guys, but the entire time I was thinking, this is this reminds me of when I play board games. You know, like you're either going to get your in-game points or your <laughs> end-game points, and it felt like Trump had been scoring like two points every like he had every some round. little in-game <laughs> engine where he was like scoring two points, two points, two points, and he just had like his token was way up on that track, and then Biden had all like at the end was like I got this card and this card and this card and this one gives me twenty points, this one gives me twenty points, and every couple of days he flips over a new uh, a new scoring card, and like oh well uh, yeah. I have this one. I was like I, I've I've been that in-game scorer way too many times, so I I understood it. I was like I, I know what's happening here. Uh, what about you, Ben? What's on your brain these days? Um, there's a new game called the transcontinental, which is on Kickstarter and, um, it's, uh, it's about a Canadian railway, but it's actually a worker placement game and it looks beautiful. Um, it's really, really fascinating. I'm not gonna get into how it works, but, um, it looks like a really, really interesting take on worker placement. I backed it. Uh, I actually, because of, um, someone in our, uh, Facebook group. I'm sorry, I can't. Uh, I'm not recalling your name at the moment, but he actually posted something in, our, in the group saying, "Hey, did anyone see this?" Uh, it was an insta back for me. So then I checked it out. I was like, "Oh yeah, that's an insta back." Um, there is a tabletop simulator mod that I want to try to play this week. Um, it looks, it just looks, it looks great, and it's it's really gorgeous. So so that's one that's really been on my mind. And on top of that, I mentioned last week in last episode or our last episode with uh, Hidden Gems, uh, this game Iki, and uh, I'm inching towards making a mod for it on Tabletop Simulator. I've never oh. done it before, Ooh. but this is this is an underrepresented game. It is like a really obscure but wonderful game, and um, I want to make it um, accessible to people and also have a way to play it. So. That, that we'll would see. Be, that would be the second game brain mod that we have on that. Uh, on that well, I'm inspired server. by Elder. That, right. Yeah. That would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, does yours also involve the exploitation and eventual ex- extermination of a native uh, uh, of native peoples? <laughs> no, but it does involve fire, and I think there may be a geisha. Oh, 
Okay. Well. Yeah. Great. We are. Uh, there's a balloon. There's like a balloon, a, bu- a bubble, a bubble man too. Well, we're we're putting things out into the world, whether they're good or bad. Other people are going to have to judge, but we're putting things out into the world. Um, <laughs> on my brain, oh, what's on your brain, Tom? Yeah, my my brain. I got. Uh, well, you know, I'm still playing the Dungeons and Dragons game, right? And mm-hmm. uh, we do we've done another adventure, and it was a lot of fun. I'm I'm really really enjoying it. I'm finding that. Um, so back when I played these games. I would be a DM or GM, game master. I'd be the person running the game uh, about nine times out of ten, and only one time out of ten would I be the, a player in the game. Um, and, uh, you know, for 25 years now, I've been a, a screenwriter, and I and when I'm a screenwriter, I'm a GM all the time. So I'm finding that being a player again is an adjustment. It really is. It's it's it, I'm a, being there and I'm, I'm you know you guys know I put on you know when I'm playing a board game I put on the accent and I commit to it and the you, you can't get me to stop speaking in that accent right so for anyone who wonders for good, for good or bad for good or bad I think, I think Tom Cruise in uh in in whatever that one where he was an Irish immigrant going across the country far and, <laughs> away. Nickel, far and away far and away the worst Irish accent in history <laughs> My daughter yesterday, be, yeah. yesterday had the temerity to ask me a question about Ireland, and then after just ten minutes of me speaking in an Irish brogue, told me I have to stop. <laughs> it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. It's like, but ca- fair, but ca- fair. Ca- absolutely fair. Absolutely you cannot fair. expect me to just drop it after a short period of time. It's just not fair. Uh, so anyway, yeah. So so I get into character, and I'm in character for the whole thing. And everybody else is, uh, Andrew, I think I already mentioned, is just playing a very disagreeable, dislikable person <laughs> in the game. And he is also just completely in the whole time. And, I, and I'm just having such fun with him. And it's starting to create this thing where some of these, uh, some of these others, one of, the, one of the other guys who doesn't play, you know, hasn't played a, a, a role-playing game in years and years and years, He's starting to get into it, and, and I think we're kind of feeding on each other, and we're starting to create a situation where we're talking in character without saying my character says or my character wants to. We're just doing what we're doing, right? We're, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're sort of inhabiting the, the roles, and I'm really enjoying how that is, is starting to affect things. And strangely enough, as I found many times, it is the people that are the most experienced in Dungeons & Dragons that have the hardest time with that. When we do, when I when I do uh, indie role playing events, it's the people that have never played a role playing game before that get it way quicker than the people that are used to playing Dungeons and Dragons, um, just because there's there's kind of a, a disconnect. Like it's it's less it's it's more game less role playing if you if, mm-hmm. if you get what I'm saying than than, oh, well, than no, certain I mean, things. Like Dungeons and Dragons is basically murder hobos, right? Yeah. And and. and and I love that. I love that about, you know, you just go around and you kill people, save the world. Uh, and, and indie role-playing, that's not the focus, generally. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of uh, having my, my monk character. I'm thinking of having him have very firm views on, uh, on, on death and respecting bodies and things like that. And what happens if I refuse to allow anyone to take those wonderful magic items off of the player character that died? 
Right. No, he has to be buried with all of that. <laughs> we got to bury him with you know, all of his gold. Nope, we bury him with that too. <laughs> he when he passes I have, I have on. A, I, I have a question actually. Yes. So since I my my role playing experience is very limited, really only to fiasco, oh. and um, oh, so good. I yeah, it's so fun. And I have a question because you know obviously. You know, you are a screenwriter, you're a writer, uh, and my background is actually also with writing. Yes, sir. And um, do you find that there is a challenge, uh, and I'm saying this because sometimes I find that it is, and something I have to work on, uh, in being sort of present in the story as opposed to thinking, oh, this would be a great next beat, right? Like, because your mind starts already. You, sometimes I find that when I'm played, playing Fiasco, like the story starts to go in a way where I'm like, oh, this would be the, a perfect next twist and I could do this and I could do that. And like I almost like I do try to sort of move it in that direction. But I have to also just tell myself, listen, be cool with what the other players do with the story and just take it from there. Do you ever have that issue? Is that um, uh, when you're playing a D &D? little bit, a little bit. I do have a little bit of background in improv. I've done a, a bunch of improv in my younger days. So um and, and, that was a and, that was a great yes and that you did then in that case. <laughs> yeah, and and that's basically <laughs> yes, what, and, I do and, and and that's sort of what I'm doing. What I what I, what I'm doing in the game is yes, I am. I can't. My my brain can't shut off and just be completely present in the moment. I'm always projecting forward as to what might make an interesting scene, what make an, might make an interesting conflict, what is going to ramp this up, what is going to feed into the narrative that we're sharing and telling. Um, so what all I do is I I for I forward cast future cast by proffering right right by you know by saying something by offering something by doing something that invites other people to jump on that train and to go in that direction and mm -hmm. you know and, and I just have to be ready to have that be ignored not noticed yes. not noticed or turned down right and you know when you play with people that don't have improv as a background which is which is the vast majority of people right a very few it's a very small very annoying subset of, of people that are in, that are improv people there's we're horrible people and uh, and calling and yes and and me saying we i i'm so so barely barely part of you know barely competent in that in that community i i shouldn't even say that uh, but it is one of those things that I offer it out there and we see what happens. And I would say that so far in our Dungeons and Dragons game, um, most of it has fallen on deaf ears, but sometimes people have picked up on it and, and, and really gotten with it. And uh, those have been some of my favorite little moments where, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there was one guy who I just decided, okay, you know what? It would be really funny if the, you know, I'm, I'm the, the rich kid in the, in the community and one of the other players is the poorest kid in the community. And so I just started ragging him a, a, a little bit and saying how, yeah, he didn't even speak until he was like 11. Like, uh, I don't, you know, I'm not even sure if they educated him or anything like that. And he, and it was, it was kind of a joke and kind of a slam, but it was also a proffer. And he picked it right up and said, yeah, I mm. think I, I think I didn't speak until the people weren't really sure about me for the, for this amount of time. And he's incorporated it completely into his, his character. And now it's, it's part of our, our shared narrative. So I'm that's having a fun part, right? Yeah. That's, that's, that's so fun when people do pick up on those hints and t they do. Yes. And, and, and it becomes like, that's, it becomes really textured and fun in that way. Exactly. Exactly. Not always. <laughs> no, not not always. Not always. But uh, that was not a yes and. <laughs> that was a no but. That was a no, no but. A no but is legitimate. Legitimate. 
You just can't have too many no buts. You have to have a, a, a decent amount of yes ands. Um, yeah, it, it is. It's one of those things that you're building a culture. Every time you start a new game with a new group of people, you're building a culture, and you're 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 trying to find ways to communicate with people that are not obvious because. Once it becomes obvious, then it becomes kind of railroading or other people trying yes. to take over the story and so on and so forth. So, yeah. So so I think we're in the very, very early stages here, but I'm seeing, you know, I'm already seeing some green shoots sprouting up out of the ground. So That's like great. That you know, and, and just real quickly, you know, this it makes me think of actually, I think, I don't, I think this is a role playing game. I'm not sure, but I actually have. I have not played it yet, but I have the Adventures of Baron Munchausen. And is, have you it, played that? It, yeah, oh, I, I own it. Yeah, of course. Uh, it is a uh, Baron Munchausen is not really. It's not a role playing game. What it is is it's a storytelling game. It, it's a like kind of a pub storytelling game. Yeah, yeah. So you've read the rules? Have you read the read, read how it works? Uh, I mean, I, I'm I read it like uh, like a year and a half ago, so yeah. I'm rusty. I just know it's like you're telling a, a story, and then people are basically pushing you to make your story cr- like crazier and crazier, and adding like elements, Hard. and you have to incorporate them until you fail. Correct, correct, and and you're you're offering little little tokens, little coins. But isn't it true, Baron? That uh, yeah, the, you know, and, I'm already and, laughing. And you're saying that saying that you know, adding another ridiculous thing that they then have to incorporate yeah. into their story, and uh, it's often played as a drinking game. Yeah, I think that. So yeah. it's sort of like role playing adjacent, which I think is yes. it's also fun. And like Once Upon a Time, which I actually love and have not played in years, but I love that game. I think that's a, that's a total riot. But again, but in those situations, especially once more than Once Upon a Time, yeah, that you are you are still creating an overall narrative, and mm-hmm. you're kind. Of, sometimes it's like no Ben, like proffer as you say, proffer, and hope they pick up on it and yep. they go in the direction that you want them to go. But um, be cool if they just. The, the the amazing idea that you had that just like brilliant you know nobel prize winning idea you had just gets left where where you had it exactly exactly and i'll also give one more update uh this is november and november is nanorimo national novel writing month and so for this month of november as I said, the last time, which I think was you know, three, four months ago when I gave it an update on the, uh, the, the novel process that I'm working on, uh, I said that one of the ways to gamify this is to release multiple novels essentially one month apart or something like that, a rapid release strategy, because it fools the, uh, the Amazon algorithm into doing more organic promotion of your book without you having to advertise it because uh, every you always have a new product and they push the new products and the new products help sell the old products and so on and so forth. So I have uh, every morning this this month so far, or just about every uh, morning, I've gone out for you know a couple hours to walk on the beach and dictate novel number two. I'm still editing novel number one. Uh, but the the plan is that when I'm ready to release these things uh, sometime in early 2021, that I will have three novels in relative completion by the time I release one so that I can release three one month apart each. And wow. Having a great time. Uh, yeah, and the title is called uh, A Murder on a Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's it. Guys, should, should we get into the review? I think we're at... Uh, Let's do it. Do it. Yeah, we're at the hour mark. I think we think we're going to make it under two this time. Let's do it. Let's do it. 
Paul, tell us what we're tell us what we're. I'll give the tail of the tape, and then you tell us about the game. We are reviewing yep. Brick and Mortar. Brick and Mortar is going to be a 2021 release. It has about four days left on Kickstarter. If you are listening to this on Monday, uh, the the designer is Nicholas J. McCollum. The artist is Tristam Rossin, and it is published by Octoraph Games, as in giraffe, but octo. <laughs> Paul, tell me about Brick and Mortar. Sure. Can you hear the, a car alarm outside? No. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, brick and Mortar, let's see. Uh, like From a top level, it is an economic engine game. Uh, the way you win is you... Uh, get the most points and the way you get points is you build a bunch of stores sell products and buy your points with the cash that you have along the way you'll uh, be bidding for stores uh each store is unique and it'll have some kind of specific good and or special power that it has uh you will collectively be manipulating supply and demand with your fellow opponents and then you will compete uh via bidding to buy supply uh, and sell your product. And basically, the juice of the game is synergizing your buildings and bidding well against your opponents. And that's, I mean, it's a, one of those games where you probably have seen every single mechanic uh, of this game, and yet it comes together in a way that uh, is quite unique, I think. So that, that's a broad view of it. That's pretty good, yeah. Um, it's an economic engine game, but... Almost every economic engine game, the winning the game at, at the end is a is determined by money, cash. Right. Exactly. This one is not. This is a victory point game. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that's what makes it uh, interesting. I think. Well, one of the things that makes it interesting. So uh, the closest it, to it would be, uh, I think, Splatter's Greed. Uh, as far as like you know, cash in hand means absolutely nothing. It's about what you buy with the cash at the end that yes. uh, determines whether you win or not. Yeah, and, and the designer has already referenced uh, on Board Game Geek. We, we had a we had a question for him, and he referenced uh, Splatter. He referenced playing Indonesia, and uh, so very very much uh, it could be that greed incorporated is a uh, is a factor in Influence. the design. Yeah, absolutely. So you are so we start off the game with a hand of four. St- Four buildings, essentially, yeah. right? We are going to draft. We're going to keep one, pass the rest, until we have three, and then everybody discards the, the last one. That is your hand of buildings. We're also going to start with $15, and we're also going to start with five market cards. Market cards are very interesting because what's going to happen is the first thing that happens in, in each round is a building phase where we can bid on the public buildings that are available at the top of the board. There'll be four available at any given moment. Um, or we can build one of the buildings that we have in our hand. In the very first round of the game, we're also going to grab a, uh, a starting building, building, which are free and cheap and they're worth some points and they kind of get the game going right they're they're either going to be selling items f- that are food or cloth there are actually yeah. five different items in the in the game that can be sold food cloth technology jewelry and art and it, it, the values of them go up in that order so food will cost you a minimum of one to buy and you can sell them for a maximum of six uh Cloth is costs two, sells for eight or something along those lines, and so on and so forth, all the way up to art, which costs ten for each art cube, but sells 
for twenty for a maximum of twenty five each. Now I said minimum and I said maximum because the market is going to be very very dynamic. There is going to be a point in the game where we are going to advertise, and then we are taking our hand of five market cards, and these cards are going to have two different goods on them. So one might have two two of the jewelry symbols and two of the art symbols. Another one might have five food symbols and one technology symbol. What that is... There are electronics, yeah. Electronics, yes. Very good. Uh, and you are either going to place that card face up in your, in your secret display to be revealed or face down. If you're playing it face up, you are creating demand. And those and the number of cubes depicted of supply. each type on that, yeah, face up a supply. So you create supply. supply, correct? So you create supply. Uh, you're going to take the, you, correct. You're going to take those cubes and you're going to put them in the market stalls uh, below. They're basically cubes that are going to be available to each and every player to buy to stock their own particular stores with. Or you're going to put it face down, which is going to create demand. If there is not demand for what your cubes are, you cannot sell it. So I could have four art sitting in my in my various stores, and if no art comes up on demand, I can't sell any of it. Very very interesting decision. Therefore, what you're going to advertise, how you know which of at first you're going to start being able to only play two cards. Later in the game, you're possibly going to be able to play once you built your fourth. Uh, building, you're going to be able to play a third card. Do I do I play one for supply and one for demand? Do I play two for supply do, and rely on other people to provide the demand? It really relies on looking at other players, seeing what their buildings are, seeing what goods they're interested in, and trying to figure out you know, and, and kind of game the system, figure out how much can I draft on this person? How much am I going to be in competition with this person? Or how much am I, how much do I have a monopoly on a particular item? And if I do, there are advantages to that because I can buy for the minimum. I don't have to bid on it and I can sell for the maximum because I don't have to bid on it. But I have to provide all of my own supply and all of my own demand, which is really, really interesting. Yeah, because the so because what happens after this advertising phase where we're deciding how much supply and how much demand there's going to be is that then once we filled up all these coffers of things that we can go to to stock our stores, um, if there's not enough to go around for everyone who wants to stock their food stores, let's say, then we have to bid for who's like top bidder who's going to pay the most for these things because whoever pays the most is going to get first dibs on the stuff that's in the in the coffers. So we have an auction for. Uh, a blind auction. We set our, we set, we have a, in the in the real game. So we've been playing on Tabletopia, by the way. We've been playing an on online implement, implementation that is public on Tabletopia, so you can go check it out. Um, but in the real game, it's going to be like a dial. So we would all set the dial secretly, and then we all reveal, and then whoever has the highest amount gets to buy as much as they want from that coffer. So that 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 may mean that they empty it out, etc. The stores have limits on how much they can each hold. But if you have like three stores that each can take three food, let's say, that means you can potentially buy up to nine food. So um, it's really important because if someone pays, decides to bid more than you, you just may not have access to the, the, the little apples that you need for your store. So we have that phase. So it's a really cool auction where uh, highest bidder wins. And then once. Yes, yeah, sorry. No, no, go ahead. It, it, you're, you're doing great. <laughs> Thanks. Um, and then we go on to uh, we go on to another auction. Now we've now we've filled up all our stores, 
Now it's time to sell the stuff to the people. So now we flip over all the cards because we still don't know what the demand is. So we flip over the demand, which reminded me a little bit, I think, of Automobile by Martin Wallace, right? Didn't Isn't an, an automobile where we're not quite sure what the demand is going to be for certain cars? That's correct. That's exactly right. So. so it reminded me of that a little bit. And so we see what the demand is. And it's like the same thing. If there's more than enough demand for all of us to sell all our goods, we just sell them at the maximum price. But if there's only if we got nine apples to sell between all of us and there's only four apples to be sold, then we go into another auction. And this one works a little differently. Now we are trying to cater to the consumer. So whoever offers the, the cheapest prices is going to get to sell their stuff first. So we are going to bid. You know, we're going to, again, secretly bid our uh, uh, make our bids for uh, 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 the price. But this time we also have to say how many we want to sell. Um, meaning that like, I think I can sell my apples. Uh, the max price is six. I think I should maybe sell them at four so I can guarantee. I think that's the price I need to guarantee my sales. And I think I can sell all four. So I'm going to set my thing to say, I'm going to sell all four of my apples. Um, and the trick here is that if you say you're going to sell four apples, but you only sell two, the two apples that you didn't sell go away. They disappear into the ether. And, and that's for us. Yes. And that goes for uh, the surplus goes for everything, not just food. It goes for like electronics and art and uh, all, all the items. Uh, and after we sell all, all, you know, after that phase, what we do is we degrade our inventory, which is uh, basically saying that now that this month is over, uh, everything has gone, gotten a little older and our stores will have a limited amount of time before like they will just fall off the, the food will go rotten or the electronics will uh, be no longer. Exactly. So every store has a certain number of times it can choose to store inventory. Yeah. Which is represented Uh, by shelves, right? There are shelves and some stores will have shelves that they only have shelves that are two shelves high. Some will have ones that are three or four shelves high. Absolutely. After that, we'll we'll pay our utilities. So basically, we pay some cash for, you know, just uh, maintenance of like turning on the lights, and then we come to the purchase phase, the investment phase, which is where you can trans, you can buy points, and you know the points are like you know it's it's cheapest or most efficient to buy at you know one for one or like one for three or whatever, or you could spend like a hundred bucks uh, to buy ten or anywhere in between there. The real, uh, the real catch about it is like you can only buy ten points per round. So uh, you you can't just save up all your money at the end of the game and buy you know all the points you need. You need to continually decide. Like, I need to spend how much money do I need to spend right now because I won't have the ability to buy fourteen next round. Mm-hmm. You know, and so like you're always cutting into your. Uh, money for next round, which will you'll be used to buy buildings or product or you know or utilities, like you know. So there's always this tension of this of really deciding how much you need to move forward now versus uh, how much you need how much capital you need to keep on running your engine. Yeah, and, and conversely, it, you can also sell your points at this phase, and you could you get three bucks per point. And um, uh, in, early in the game, that money could be really important because. Uh, if you find yourself, you know, in a poor and broke, you can take on debt. 
which is basically like you get these tokens and you get two bucks per token. You can take on as much as you want, but you lose a point for every token at the end of the game. So it actually is, it's a better, um, it's better to lose a point and gain three bucks. And it is, you know, during this phase than it is to lose a point, you know, and gain only two bucks theoretically at the end of the game. Um, yeah, it's but, 50, uh, 50% more but it efficient. is a choice you have to make. Yeah. It's 50% more efficient to to choose to go down because you're getting three per victory point as opposed to two for, per, per victory point. Um, and as Paul said, it does it, the points that you can score uh, like this at the end of each month um, it ramps up. So you can get four points. Expense. Yes, you can get four points by spending about 30 bucks. But you, if you want to get eight points, it's going to cost you 80, 85 points. So it costs you more to get those bigger batches, which means that the game is kind of goading you toward making smaller purchases as the game goes on. Slow and steady. Which creates some very interesting things because yeah. some people are going to go down in the early rounds to get enough money to, to build their engine. Other people maybe won't and will be slowly buying points right from the get-go, and all of a sudden people are going to see a gap, and that creates it creates market psychology, which is a, a really great thing when an economic game creates a, a market psychology effect in the players. Yeah. Uh, and uh, also, yes. turn order. Turn order is, is impacted by how well you're doing. If you're on that track, if you, whoever is last on the track is also last in turn order, um, and that is significant because being uh, farther behind in turn order gives you higher priority in breaking ties. So if we go back to one of these auctions and if uh, the demand is, it, let's say, let, let's just say we're just supply auction. Paul and I both bid $4 to buy something and there's only three to go around. We both bid four. Whoever is farther behind in turn order gets to go first. And that could be a huge deal. Yeah. It absolutely could. So that's the basis of the game. Um, the only thing is, is that what we're describing should probably sound to you like a pretty tight, hard decision, you know, rough kind of economic engine game until you start looking at the buildings. The buildings really throw this game into a different a direction I did not expect based a different on gear. the rules based on the rules of the game. Uh, that is because the buildings are highly varied and most of them, not all of them, but most of them or many of them have some game breaking rules. They have uh, different systems within them that when you get this building, this building does this. So let's take one of the one of the one of the game breakers right out of there. The, the consignment store. The consignment store says you can't purchase any items and supply and supply this. All you can do is this this building will only accept uh, electronics, uh, jewelry, or art. And the only way you get it is if after everybody has bought their cubes, there are cubes left over. Right? If there are cubes left over and nobody has claimed them, you can claim them for free. And as, we, as I think I described, um, technology or electronics, uh, jewelry, and art are the three best-paying 
the best paying results. They pay, I think, Hi-end twelve. Stuff. Yes, they pay twelve, eighteen, and twenty five bucks per cube. Uh, if there's no if there's no bidding, right? If they're if they're just uh, just free to sell. Um, which means getting those for free, that's a huge amount of profit that you can get. And it does affect the game in a, in a, in a, very, uh, in a very real way. Now you still have to put cubes out there. So suddenly putting cubes out there is very important. You still have to create demand in order to sell those cubes. But suddenly you're no longer bidding. Suddenly you have a, a, a very different uh, a system. There are some... Yeah. There, there are some yes. buildings that uh, that uh, give you victory points, just flat out give you victory points based on certain conditions and has nothing to do with the make money and then sell that money for points, right? Yeah, so, I mean, I think what you're getting at here is uh, that, that maybe you are, you know, by the rule set, it feels like this is going to be just like a, like, uh, like a mental like mental jousting with your with with your other the other players about scores and all this and that maybe this this sort of all these buildings that all the other powers i mean you said it, it takes it in a different direction uh i i agree with everything you're saying uh and i'm i i am okay with that actually I, i'm not saying that you're not okay with it but i just <laughs> want to start weighing in with an opinion here that uh, i like the powers that the buildings give and and do some are a little too wonky. I'm not going to say they're all perfect. I, the jury is out to me on the freezer, but, uh, and I'll, I'll get back to that. But I, what I like about these buildings and the crazy things that they do is they do force you to play a different game each time. And not just you having the building, but you reacting to someone else's building. Like the consignment store being out there means that we have to be really smart about what sort of, supply we put out on out out there because otherwise you're just going to get it for free and that's really crazy um uh i'd like that that depending on the cards you get in your hand you may have to pursue something very specific and very different than what you did last game so i think the 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 cards while they are they are not, not like silly but they they definitely are more uh i don't even want to say wonky but they they, they bring something that's not Swingy, they're they're swingier than what you would find in in most like splatters or dry, you know, economic games. I I appreciate what they bring. Paul, yeah. since we're going to be talking about balance, and and it's the segment that you <laughs> want to talk about, um, why don't you why don't you weigh in on how the the swinginess of these various buildings might affect the balance or perceived balance of the game? Well, it, it's interesting because uh, like uh. For a in poker, like you know, there are generally like four kinds of uh, styles of play. There's you know, there's tight, and then there's aggressive and loose and conservative. You know, and I'm a person who would be described as a loose aggressive person, like you know. And so what? <laughs> and I think you know that, right, Tom? I, th- I, think, I, I, think I that's do. It. I do. It, it, it is <laughs> uh, aggressive. It, it is why you should not play poker. But yes, <laughs> but but like but ultimately, like you know, I'm going to press people, uh, and I'm going to press people in a way that is mathematically dubious. <laughs> uh, but I ha- but in order to do that, I have to deal with swings, and I think like uh, the the variety of uh, of what you call it of the stores in this game uh, create that loose dynamic. Because uh, it can 
cause it can cause someone to have like a really strong engine while other people do not. But it's always in such a cycle that like if you are okay with that wide range of uh, gameplay, I think you have a much more enjoy. I I feel like I really enjoy poker when I get to play the way I do. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm, it's loose and it's fun. I can joke around and in this game, I feel the same way. If you are a loose type person, a loose aggressive that I am, I feel like this game really hits my spot. Uh, the game that I would, uh, connect this to the most, uh, would be glory to Rome. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. because glory to Rome has like a similar style of artwork. Uh, the original, uh, artwork of glory to Rome, not the new star, the cartoony one. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, uh, and I think it really informs you that like in glory to Rome that like, you know, Hey, you know, don't take this too seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and let's, and let's rules... say that the art does the the art in uh, brick and mortar does do that. The the art yes. is very it's very bright. It's very light. It's it's cotton candy it's cotton candy colors. Um, it, you know, you know it, cartoony a little bit. Yeah, and, and after Paul, after Paul, you're done making your point. I do want to weigh in on the art because I think the art is actually pretty important in this game. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I will say, you know, with Glory to Rome, like you are making these engines and there are tons of you know cards that are wildly powerful and like if you hit the right engine you're you're kind of unbeatable and in some ways this might be this way too mm-hmm. uh i i will say that the economic rule set of this game seems to be very precise like you know it's it could be for you could make these rules uh in general for a a as I don't want to use the word dry, but like a more stringent academic, uh, economic, uh, economic engine game. And it could be very tight and very elegant in that way. Mm. But with the addition of these buildings that are so haymer- haymakery wild in some cases, uh, it creates a, this dichotomy that uh, I personally enjoy. But, yeah. like, uh, uh, but I don't know if it's in everyone uh type of thing i i so i totally co-sign everything you just said because i agree this this actually game i feel like may even have some sort of like um some dna like with a reiner canizia kind of game almost Mm -hmm. and i actually think so this artwork i think is fantastic um tristan rossum who did it uh it's sort of as like in that that sort of like looks kind of like um the network's or yes. um, the, or you know, like that kind of that cool cartoony thing. It doesn't look, it doesn't look cartoony silly like Lloyd of Rome or like right. um, Bonanza. It's like cartoony cool, and I think it injects a lot of personality and life into what could have been a very dry, fussy game, mm-hmm. and it, it it makes it like fun and you embrace it. And um, in you know the in in some of the gameplay is that that we had of it it like it invited us into the world that we were creating of these stores and it was like oh i've made you suddenly like we're talking about like oh i've made my little neighborhood looks like this and oh your neighborhood's like silver lake and i it created a lot of banter around the table i feel like the art sort of not that the art created it but the art um invited us it facilitated us yeah and it was uh i and it also it, it it makes it um in a weird way it's sort of it's like it kind of touches on the, on the fun spirit of entrepreneur on like opening up your own business. It's hard to describe. It reminded <laughs> me almost of like reading a kid's book where it's like, 
this is how you open up a business. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know but what books I was reading as a kid. I got. I got a. Right, okay. Uh, here we go. Yeah. Here it we go. Opinion. All right. Yep. 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 Uh, you know, st- strap in because here's 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 the problem <laughs> with this. All I'm right? strapped. Uh, so, Glory to Rome is a swingy, swingy game. It's a Carl Chudda classic. I love Glory to Rome, but Glory to Rome plays in an hour. It does not take long. And a swingy game, you can be very, for, you can forgive a swingy game if it swings, if it's, you know, if it, you know, graces us for a half hour, 45 minutes, hour at tops, and then, you know, it departs, and, and then you can away. play, and then you can play something else. It also has the mechanics that, that fit a swingy game, which is I play a card and it dings you, or it dings you, or it grabs the thing that you wanted to grab, and it's very fast paced and moving along these lines. This game, does not take one hour to play. A three-player game, we clocked in at about two hours. I think you could probably get that down to an hour and a half. I don't think you can get it down much below that. Uh, a four-player game takes considerably longer because of... Just, but to just, be fair, Tabletopia versus live. That's just true. Uh, maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit, but not a lot because there are a lot of auctions in the game. There is a lot of sure, bidding. Sure. There's a lot of bidding mm-hmm. in the game, yeah. and that is, and those are things that that for experienced gamers and for for economic engine gamers, that takes time, that takes moments, that takes consideration, that takes thought. That is not going to be a quick and and breezy game. It, you can play this quick and breezy. You can if you're, just- but it's not the way the game. It's it's. It's what the art is urging you to do. It is not what the rules are urging you to do. The rules yeah, I mean, of the there's, game. There's like a little bit of an identity crisis here because I agree. Like the art sort of is giving you this feeling like this could be, you know, borderline beer and pretzel. It feels like the art is reminiscent of Stockpile also, you know, which is another yeah. really fun economic game that is, what, 45 minutes. It's, it's Stockpile is a really – it's a romp, you know. This game, and this game pre- presents it like that, but this game is much more cutthroat and it is much more aggressive. I do think there's a way you can play it where you're just like, whatever, we're just going to auction and see like how the chips fall, you know. And you can have a lot of fun with it that way. And I think it does get a lot lighter that way if you're not like mathing out every single thing that everyone else is doing. Um, so I think you could play it that way. I think probably most players or people who listen to this podcast, especially, will probably be more interested in the 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 more cutthroat like what is how much does he have and how much money do I have and how much what if I do this you know yeah but, all that but, stuff but what you're saying is is like you could play this not to win if you play not to win you're yeah. gonna have you know a really great time and and that's true you that sort of any game I guess I don't yeah <laughs> I don't think that is particularly valid when we're trying to review a but, game look this but, is a well, sk- but I hear no no no, no, no. Okay, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, opinionated down, Robin, gamer. Down, Shut up, opinionated <laughs> gamer. It's me. I'm going to talk. This is a schizophrenic game. This is a schizo. In, in my view, this is a schizophrenic game. It has got a Ferrari engine, Ferrari tuning, Ferrari suspension, and slapped on top of that is a party bus. It is it it is a really really weird design. It's it's almost like the designer designed such a such an elegant economic engine those those supply and demand cards and and choosing how to do that the the way that each 
each building that you have, each shop that you have has, you know, it can only have this many cubes or it can have this many cubes. It can only sell this one item or these two items or these or these three items. These items degrade and they move down a shelf. If they're on the bottom shelf and they move down, you, they're lost to you. The, the, the bidding process in the game, it's really good. It's really, really good. And it's like... Why did the why did the buildings suddenly go glory to Rome when they should have been probably probably given the way the design went up to that point and the designer is talking about splatter games right splatter games don't have glory to Rome they don't they don't put that in there this game should have had buildings that were more like the companies in City of Big Shoulders City of the Big Shoulders each company is different. They are all different. And by the way, they they traffic in four, I believe, four different types of goods, right? And we have five mm-hmm. different types of goods in this game. They play differently, but they play differently within a constrained system, right? right. They play differently, but they don't play so differently that that each new one that comes out breaks the game in a different way. Yeah. You are still you are still fighting yeah, I mean, to there are there are city of big shoulders type uh, buildings in there for sure uh, but i know what you're saying there are other ones that are just like really out there i guess one of my questions is we're talking about swingy and swingy and swingy but the truth is almost every single game i've played of this has had a very close final score so like the, is the swinginess more like it feel if is it just like the, it feels unbalanced and it just doesn't it feels like you have moments where you feel like something's unfair or is it like it's well, just the well, game. well there, there was a game where uh the range uh you me trey and tom where tom was 10 points ahead you yeah. two you and trey were tied and i, I was 20 points behind oh that's so. true <laughs> that was the, that was the swingiest game i know i agree that one was a swingy game for sure uh but but like to, to retort to tom like with the ferrari party bus first of all that sounds amazing. I was about to say, that's a great vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> when Tom said that, I was like, but, but, but you are, no problem? I, don't think, I think you're proving uh, Ben and mine's point. Like, you know, that sounds amazing. But, <laughs> Does it though? But, I thought the same thing. But, but, Does but, it though? You are going to ha- all you're going to have, no, but if you really think about what I'm describing, it is not amazing. Everybody is going to have, you know, my ties all in their hair. It's going to be all over their, their, their clothes. It is going to look like these people went through an alcoholic washing machine. A good driver. Like, if you have a good driver, are, everything's okay. Uh, no, even like you have not been on enough party buses. If you think that's a failure, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's but, true. But 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 to, to to be more serious about it, like you know, like I look at this game, and this is just me, like uh, forensically breaking it apart. I go, this game is actually how I would prefer a slot a splatter game, because like I really admire splatters. Uh, rule set and its elegance and its uh, design and stuff like that. But one thing that Splatter, at least the Splatters I've pay- played, uh, don't have is this kind of like in-your-face interactivity. And I don't. Wow. I, I would suspect Fujin Magnet suspect doesn't that, have in-your-face pro- interactivity. But, but see, once again, like you know that, like you know, it all comes down to how you see this game. If you see this game as an economic engine building game exclusively in a in that tradition, I think you're going to be disappointed. Because for me, I look at this game as a bidding game that has a strong economic engine component to it, but it's at its core, at its heart, maybe not at its core, at its heart, 
it's it's a game about bidding. It's about uh, interpersonal interactivity. Because I'm like you know like I'm like I'm play I played with our group. I played with Ben's group, and I'm I learn more about people because of this game. How they bid. Like you know in our group, I know that. Tom is never is not going to want to sacrifice tempo, so he's going to lower his price, but he's going to keep his quantity up. And whereas Ben's group is like, oh, I want to spend the most, I want to get the most value out of my product, so I'm going to make sure I sell at least one, and uh, and keep the price high. You know that kind of like psychological interaction and and whatever jousting, I feel is what. The des- and I don't want to speak for designer because I, I don't know, but like sure. it feels like that is the game that I am playing when I play this game, and which is which is really fun for me because I do like the backing of this Ferrari engine, as you put it. Mm. Uh, but like, but in the end, uh, the Ferrari engine is like you know like it needs to be. There are a lot of Ferrari, there are a lot of high end games out there with these Ferrari engines, and like you have to be cream cream of the creme to like really stand out for me. Where I go, like, oh my god, this is so amazing, blah blah blah. But with this, you go, you take the Ferrari engine and then you you twist it and put it into a a party bus, as you put it, and now you have a really interesting creature that actually there aren't a lot of these creatures that scratch this itch that i have because i do I, like as an engineer i do always appreciate optimization mm-hmm. but as a game player i'm a person who's always going to want to dive into psychology and play against a person as opposed to this multi this you know single uh what do you call it we call it solitaire oh, that uh, solitaire yeah like i i'm not a person who really enjoys that nor i uh yeah so so like so this this basically i feel like the game is forcing interaction in a way uh that is uh that is both beautiful and painful (laughs) yeah but but all the games that but all the games that i'm referring to that it should be closer to have plenty of player interaction i mean cutthroat player interaction but 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 those but those but those actions are pretty uh and from from like like indonesia or, or anything splatter like you know i feel like those are very mechanical math interactions like you know like agricola has player interaction i don't i wouldn't call it an interactive game Look, i'm not i'm yeah. not playing against you i'm playing against how uh i'm playing against your decision set does that Look, make sense yeah I, uh, listen i, I want to first of all i i haven't voiced a criticism yet I'm, oh, no, I'm, I'm describing. I'm, I'm describing the game. I'm describing <laughs> what's weird about it. I don't yeah. really think it's a criticism because guess what? If you're like Paul and Ben and you like this weird dichotomy, then you got a great game. If you're like me, I think that I could go through the deck of 64 buildings. I could cull them down to 30, and sure. we, and we could play my game. Absolutely. Sure. I, I, but, like, you know, you, but you also use words like you know what the building should be. Well, uh, what, and, you know, for yeah, for, well, uh, yeah, I would say that if you read the rule book, because the, the the rule book doesn't describe the cards. So if you read the rule book and you and you look at the rule set and you see the way this game is is built, um, the the components of the game are kind of, to my way of looking, that's what I'm saying. Schizophrenia. There, the yeah, the components absolutely. the components are at war with the system, which they're, is they're off genre, which is weird. Yeah, which is I, and I. And, and and I, you know, 
I I don't necessarily disagree. Um, and it did, at the same time, it didn't really wasn't it wasn't an issue for me. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I in you know in our first two games of it, um, I I felt like every time we turned over a new building, there was a lot of ooh and ah, and everyone was eager to see what the buildings did. People were actually really into the swinginess of the buildings or, or the special mm-hmm. powers and. Um, People wanted to play with the buildings and be like, what is this going to do? What's that? There was like an excitement around it, which was really fun for us. Um, But I will say that um, uh, if the game, if, you know, Paul has an interpretation of the game in one way, Mm -hmm. was bidding with engine, uh, economic engine, Tom, you have another interpretation. It perhaps is a subtle flaw of the the game that it cannot present a cohesive image of itself to an audience. I don't know how big of a flaw that is, yeah. but I think also that's what's really good about a review like this is because you can people can listen and be like, like, oh, that would annoy me. Or they can say, oh, well, that's actually something I would really like because I know I, I personally really in, enjoyed getting all those powers and, um, and playing with them. But I can totally, totally, I'm not saying this in a way that's like, and that's the way it is. Right. But it's like, I can totally see how someone could get frustrated. And, and honestly, I did get frustrated a little bit. So we talked about, I mentioned the freezer card. Mm-hmm. There's one card where you can put, uh, you can't stock it in the stocking phase, but uh, you can put food in there at a certain point. And then, at a, and then when, when you, once you have food in your freezer, you can sell it to the demand. And instead of getting money for it, you are getting victory points, uh, which is like cool in theory. But what happens is since you're not, whoever has the freezer is not getting um, is not getting money. They can sell their stuff at like a dollar or even zero dollars. They can give it away for free and get those points and totally destroy everyone else who is trying to sell their food. So some people might say, well, then it's your duty, knowing that that card is there, it's your duty to really make sure that, that the demand is really high, which I totally get and I totally respect. But at the same time, that's one of those things where you're like, oh, that's... It, it feels weird that they just like clog up the demand and it's just like easy points for them to clog up the demand. Like that's, those are the sort of cards where you're like, mm, yeah. don't know if I necessarily need this card in the game. And there's a, there's a large number of them. There's the ones that, that give you instant victory points by, uh, by selling a good of each one of these various types. Listen, that's a very common Euro mechanism, but first of all, it doesn't really fit logically within, within the, within the context of this game, but it also creates perverse incentives that kind of go against the engine and the design. Trey had, uh, uh, Trey played with us and had a criticism about a mechanism called uh, surplus, which is, which we alluded to, which is when you are bidding to sell, you have to bid both a number of cubes and you have to bid the the value that, that you want to get the money you want to get for each cube if you fail if you do not sell those cubes any excess cubes that you bid to sell so if you bid to sell four cubes at eight value and guess what all the, the somebody un, several people underbid you and suddenly you are left selling only one cube those other three cubes go away because you bid to sell them. And Trey was like, well, I don't think that's a good idea. I think that that's a, that's a mistake because what it is is it's a double tax. It is punishing you twice. It is bad enough. It puts you behind the curve enough that you couldn't sell them 
this turn. And then in addition to that, you lose all those cubes. So you're going to have to buy and store again and all that sort of stuff. It is, it is, it is punishing you two different ways. And in general, in, 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 in games like this, that's, that's a problem, right? That could be, that, that can, that can be a, a situation where people get, uh, you know, people get turned off or more to the point, they get, they get uh, doubly wounded for something that it wasn't always their fault. Looking into the game further, I've, I, I think I'm not quite in agreement with Trey because what it really is, the, the, that, that element, and the designer spoke about it at, at great length. Some of the points I, I agree with more than others. But essentially what he's saying is you have to look at everybody else's buildings, see what everybody can sell, and kind of come up with a narrative. Like, okay, this person needs to sell these things because they're on the bottom shelf and they're about to go. So they're probably going to lower their bid to make sure that they make some money off of this deal. This other person, they can hold on to their things as long as they want. I have to decide how many of these things am I going to try to sell right now? How much am I going to push it? Or do I wait one more round, let everyone sell all their stuff, and then I'm going to have a much better selling opportunity next round? And that's kind of what that design is supposed to be. That was, his, that was the, the designer's uh, defense of that double tax, as it were. The problem is, is that there are so many buildings in the game that play by their own set of rules that that mechanism doesn't even come into play a lot, right? That, that mechanism, that, you know, all of a sudden you have a freezer and you have a totally different set of rules that you're going by. You have this building and you don't even want to sell these things. You just want them to drop off your board because that's how you get victory points. And what it ends up being is it ends up being that the people that are selling goods for money and churning that money into points, which is the design of the game, be, starts to become more the exception than the rule. And I, uh, I, I think that your points are very, are very fair. Mm-hmm. Um, I, um, you can I, also I'm, tell me I'm full of, of... full of junk. You can say that. Uh, i push back slightly because i don't know if it's against the design of the game i think that the buying points at the end of the round is like a a main way to get uh to get points if you're playing the big money game but i actually um i think that you can also i think it's totally valid to get your points in game um with things like the bazaar or whatever the way the way that works for me you mentioned just a few minutes ago like it feels like it's against the spirit of the game you know something like the bazaar where you get uh points for selling um certain like certain amount of different types in your turn mm-hmm. in my mind i'm like those points represent like the quality of the bazaar like if you know you can go to that bazaar and you can get three different things there you're going to go to that bazaar more often so like the reputation of that bazaar goes up like thematically okay. it makes sense to me there um, like the idea that victory points are actually reputation points yeah. Um, but I think, you know, I know what you're saying, though, it, it like uh, about like, you know, how some of these buildings like the freezer can just like kind of railroad the the mental gymnastics you're supposed to already be doing. And that can be that can be kind of annoying. And admittedly, you could like expand your mental gymnastics to be to account for those buildings. You're sort of supposed to, I think. Um, I think so. The surplus rule was like a big controversy, I feel like, uh, at our table. And um, I agree that if you get if you get hurt by the surplus rule, it it sucks and it it is punishing and it feels very unfair if you um, 
four, if you thought you were going to sell six things and someone undercuts you and you only sell two and then four things that you spent really important money on are now gone. I understand and I feel that that does that is a feel bad moment mm-hmm. for sure. But I think what I think is interesting, really interesting about the surplus rule and why I actually like it is because the surplus rule is saying, hey, yeah, that is exactly what you're going to feel. So don't do it. Like think like and, and I know that. The, <laughs> and so like and I know that that's there's almost a certain amount of like surplus privilege in saying that. But like because uh, sometimes you can't control it. Sometimes it just happens. Paul has done it to me about 45 times in the game. But um, that's that's what it's there for. The surplus rule is at its most punishing when you don't respect it, when you don't say to yourself, there's a chance that I'm not going to sell all these goods. I should think about that and say, hmm, maybe I should sell four instead of six. Let me, let me just like, let me think about this situation here. And that's when I think it, that's, that's what I like about it. Cause it, you have to have that extra layer of mm. thought there beyond just like, how do I price it? It's more like, how do I price this? And like, how am I being smart about what I'm presenting to the, to the market? Mm. Like for, for me, uh, the third plus rule, I mean, it, it's it's a feature, not a bug, for 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 my taste. But it's a taste thing for me. Like, uh, yep. I, I I can definitely see it without the surplus rule, and I think the game would work probably yep. fine, probably fine. Like you know, but like in terms of uh, like how should I say this this way? This can be, however you play it, a mean game in the same way that the estates is mean, in the same way that bus is mean. Like you know, this this game. And this uh, this game plus the surplus makes it so that like there is skin in the game, mm-hmm. like you know th- there there isn't there isn't a softness about like oh here is just a tempo hit. It's like more here is a tempo hit and uh, and loss of goods because you did not as as Ben said respect the moment enough. Mm-hmm. And I and I really like that because there's there's a, a boxing uh, uh, phrase that I really like and. It goes, everyone has a plan until, they until they're hit. hit. Exactly, and and I feel like you know this this is this is a little uh, uh, semi-contact sparring. Uh, you know, it's not it's not poker where you're going to lose your mortgage, but like you know, it's it, it, it makes you feel your losses, and I think that's a, a plus for me. But that's a that's a taste thing. Yeah, I mean it's. My counter to that is that the game. Uh, and by the way, I said that I believe that the the surplus rule makes sense, and I uh, I'm in favor. Yeah. yeah. Of it. Uh, but uh, the counter to that is the game's already mean enough. It, yeah. it has bidding yep. all over the place, and bi- bidding is a mean mechanism. That's the reason that euros <laughs> have dropped. Have very few sure. bidding mechanisms anymore. Bidding mechanisms are great for balance. They're they're bad for player experience because somebody's winning and somebody's losing, and it's painful to lose to lose auctions. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and let me bring up one last one last criticism. Yeah. Uh, which is the imbalance of the buildings. We were, we're sort of discussing mm-hmm. that. One sure. could say that since most buildings in the game are auctioned, that there shouldn't be a problem with an imbalance in buildings because mm-hmm. you can always you can always just bid more and, and grab it. The problem Price is is that the problem is is that we start with a hand of four buildings. We're keeping one and we're passing three. So, which is also. That we're, the drafting of buildings is also designed to mitigate that, um, mm-hmm. but 
when a certain percentage of those buildings are significantly better and game-breaking. They're designed to be game-breaking to some degree. Mm-hmm. Game-breaking, if you end up with the right building at the beginning of the game, um, you start off with a an advantage that a person that doesn't get one in their initial hand of four doesn't. And that's sadly... That's sadly a problem. That is a that is a oh. problem with this design. It is. It is. If for me, it falls within you know the loose category. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right. What you said is 100 percent correctly. Like you know, run, you know, you get the was it the the pawn shop, pawn shop in your hand, and then and then you just build your engine according to that pawn shop. You know, it's going to be a rough thing to beat. That's how At, I ended up 30 points ahead of you in that game. Exactly. It's, you know, and, and but you know, but at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, that's not going to always happen. Uh, and if you're accepting of the fact that this is a possibility, uh, when you go into the game, if you go into the game with that looseness, uh, what's the word I want to use? Like mindset. Mm-hmm. I think, or at least for me, I think it's fine. Like there's, uh, or yeah. or or you just like. You know, it's a statue in viticulture. You just don't use it. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's simple simple as that. By like, the way, you know, however, viticulture you, you is would... a very interesting example because when I play viticulture, I have a deck that has been culled down to the cards that I want to play with in viticulture, right? And, and a lot of the other cards, the particularly swingy ones, the particularly problematic ones, have been left out of the game. And I think that, and unfortunately, since we don't have a physical copy, since we're playing on Tabletopia, we can't cull the deck. But I believe that one could, play the game that I want to play yeah. from this. Absolutely. Which is like, like personal if, preference, by the way. Just personal preference. Yeah. But the I game that I want to play, deck, I believe I've, you could play with this. Yeah, and my Viticulture deck, I got all the cards plus the wonky expansion because I love the swinginess going on in Viticulture there. Um, one thing I do want to talk about real quickly uh, before we wrap up, I want to talk about, we've been talking about sort of like the controversies of like surplus, etc. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to talk about one way that was really fun. Right. Um, in our uh, in, in one of the early games, um, there was a situation. I don't remember the specifics of it, but basically, I, I was in a position where I really wanted to sell all my, let's say, clothes at max price, and I was in I was in the worst place in turn order, and there was not a lot of demand, and I really did not think I'd be able to, and so. Uh, there were two other guys, James and Nick, who who were also in clothes. And through the meta, through the discussion or whatever, they they knew that I would have to undercut for them to uh, for me to be able to sell my things, which meant that they were going to have to lower their prices. And then if they both lowered their prices, then there was concern that then they might somehow it, everyone's judgment started to get all scrambled up, right? And then in the end, they sold like only. Like one guy only sold like two clothes, one guy only sold like one clothes or two, something like that. But because of the surplus rule and the fear of, of losing stuff in surplus, they actually undersold. And then as a result, it opened up way more demand for me than I should have had. And I was actually able to sell all. And I, I kind of bet on that happening. And so I was able to sell all six of my clothes or whatever the amount was at max price. And we all went, oh, my God. And it was one of those like really fun memory making moments where you're like oh and we had a lot of there were a lot of those moments and so while we are like talking very like intensely about these buildings and the surplus rule i do want to emphasize that the game has like a lot of just like pure fun moments or at least i've i've experienced those where there've been like let's reveal and oh no or oh oh or like a twist in this and that and uh, i think that's actually one of the strengths of the game is that um there is a lot of there's like a lot of 
there can be a lot of joy and fun to be had. But at the same time, it, it can be very punishing. So someone may not be feeling the joy. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> that is Brick and Mortar. Uh, go to Kickstarter right away when you listen to this. Uh, check Four it days. out. Take a look at it and see yeah. if this... I loved it. See if you want to get on the party bus. Maybe you do. <laughs> the Ferrari party bus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now we're going to go to the the, uh, the this member specific segment. Ben, uh, Paul, tell us. Ben, yes, Ben. ben wait, go. wait. Which which one? Which one's to shine? Which one's Batman? I can't remember. Paul, uh, I, I, Batman. Talk to me, Paul. Talk hey, to me, everyone. Uh, so, like you know, uh, I think in in a lot of game groups, when at least this is what you know I was thinking about uh, when we play a new game. Uh, one of the factors in which we decide whether the game is good or not is whether it's balanced. And at least in our game group, we use that word a lot. And I thought, like, you know, me as a game breaker, I'm a person who will tend to f- try to find the imbalance in things. But, like, I started thinking about how I don't know if we have a real precise definition of what balance means. And its implications to uh, board gaming. So I thought it would might be a good discussion. Absolutely. Uh, so that, so like you know, ultimately, uh, how would you define balance, uh, Tom Ben? Do you guys have uh, your definitions? Sure. Yeah. I mean, for me, listen, balance means a lot of things, right? But yep. let's start off with the most basic thing, the most basic uh, principle of balance that's the most important in a board game is that when I sit down to the board game with a bunch of other players, that we all have, at the beginning of the game, the same relative chance of, of winning or doing well in that game as anybody else, and that the game itself isn't going to put its finger on the, on the scales in favor of one person versus another person until our decisions start to make that happen. So, so you know, uh, if I were to expand that a little bit... Uh, Two people of, or three people, ten people of different skills, uh, would that be balanced? Yeah, because it's you know, not the it's uh, uh, because it's the, game the game is not the game is not uh, uh, making a choice in that matter. So, in a way, like the way I saw it is like you know, if people were sitting, people of equal skill mm-hmm. were sitting together playing a game uh, at the beginning of the game, like you know, before decisions are made, there is no preference of who is going to win. Correct. Right? Something like that. Correct. Uh, like the difficulty about that is like, at least for me, is that uh, that's a that's a metric that's nearly impossible to hit. Yep. Like for example, chess. Uh, who uh, is, is chess balanced? Well, no. White uh, in in professional chess, mm-hmm. uh, the the uh, person playing black in a tournament is at, at the higher levels is trying to get the draw the white person is trying to get sure. the win because there and, is and, there is a there is and by the way the the first consideration for balance in most games is is there a first player advantage that's like one exactly. of the very first like, things and, and it's and it's almost it's like 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 take go for example go i you know theoretically white gets to choose the game that's going to play and black has to the first player chooses uh the game and the black has to adjust and there's almost you know it's it can be imperceivably balanced uh, or advantaged uh, advantaged like 
first player. Generally, first players tend to have advantage. So I kind of feel like the answer is like there is not there's not the uh, the actual mathematical situation, but kind of like the range of which the players are willing to tolerate mm-hmm. of balance. Like, you know, like they're like within a certain amount, there is this fog of winning. And if, and if uh, I'm sitting at playing this player uh, or this character, like I I'm within the fog of winning and losing. And if everyone with, is in within that fog, like, you know, uh, then the game is balanced enough. Does, does, does that kind of make sense? Am I yeah. phrasing it right? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I, I agree that, like, a game is quote-unquote balanced. It feels balanced if it's if we all sit down and we all technically have an equal shot at it. Which, by the way, I think is very funny because we live in a society that is fundamentally imbalanced. Mm-hmm. And as board gamers, we strive so much for balance when we have such an imbalanced society. And there are people who do not get to have that um that there's there are some people who do have first player advantage in society and not to get all political here but i think it's a really interesting um juxtaposition of the world we live in versus the world where we try to like really enforce in board games and i almost wish that if people people applied this passion for balance in their board games to their neighbors (laughs) that might be really good for us but um but that that aside though I agree. You do want to have a feeling of like that. We all are. We all have an equal shot at this thing. But um, I also think that balance um, can also be something that we strive for along the way in a board game. Mm-hmm. In and what I mean by that is, um, so I, I just played Anno eighteen hundred mm-hmm. last night again, and it is. I think we played for like four hours. Super fun. We had a great time and everything. And it's a long game. Um, and then, but there are these like things where you have to like draw cards and you don't have any control over it. You don't get to do like draw three and return one or something like that. Like you just draw cards and it's either going to be good for you or bad for you. And that's that. And it felt a little like um, unpleasant, right? Because mm-hmm. it felt like I had come down all this path and, um, and you know, when we're in the late game, when, when we feel like we should have really the most control over our fate. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, and you're doing, and you're just like, oh, I just wasted a really important action to get something that has nothing for me. That you're getting slapped around like by output, output randomness, sure. right? Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. But, but I guess my question for you is like, you know, we we play a lot of games like say Gaia Project. You know, Gaia Project has a whole bunch of asymmetrical powers, right? Yeah. And they are not like percentage wise. Like you can look on the websites. Like you know, some races win more often than others. Sure. Is that balanced well well there there are definitely so there are things that make balance harder in games Mm -hmm. and there are things that make balance easier in games certainly asymmetry of any kind whether it's asymmetrical powers or Mm -hmm. whether it's asymmetrical position board position advantages disadvantages all that sort of stuff uh friedrich you know we, we talked about maria Maria is a very imbalanced game. Friedrich is Mm -hmm. even more imbalanced, and that's why I love it even more. Uh, You know, it's it's a hard thing to balance a game properly when you have asymmetry. That said, what Gaia Project does, which is interesting, is is one of the things that makes balance easier is balancing specific mechanisms. So the last player to go in the first round gets the first choice of races, gets the first choice of mm-hmm. which of these things. So in theory, 
the person going last who has a distinct disadvantage, not a huge disadvantage, mm, but, sure. but not nothing, in terms of that first player advantage, is counterbalancing that by being able to pick a race that has a higher winning percentage. So, well, well, but see, here's the thing, Tom. Like, you know, like, this is already taken into account. Like, you know, you, that, that, that uh, balancing mechanism you're talking about is already taken into account when you see that these some races, like, win, like, 60%, X percent of the time. I don't, I don't actually know what the percentages are. Uh, so, like, yes, there is a mechanism to try to make sure that that uh, imbalance isn't even more so. But, like, what the data already says that, like, even during these games that, like, all these mechanisms are, you know, that counter mechanisms is put in, some races win stronger than others. Yes, but, so, but real, realize that in Gaia Project in particular, there is there is one set of, of races that are particularly successful and one set of races that are particularly unsuccessful. Yep. And virtually all of the others are well within are well within the realm of what we would consider to be balanced, right? Plus it, or, it, plus it, or minus five percent, so on and so forth. Absolutely. And so and so the real the real crux of this uh, discussion is why do we strive for balance? Why yeah. do we strive for balance? Well, exactly. I think so. I was just thinking about that right now. And I think that like one of the reasons why is that we like to feel like we got a fair shot. We like to feel like we didn't just mm -hmm. waste our time on a futile exercise. Right. But I also think that a lot of it has to do with the expectations the game might set up for you. Because if you have a, a game that's like wildly imbalanced or you have something like Maria, that's basically like Maria's going to have a hard time. Good luck. Here you go. <laughs> like the fun is the fun is like, how do I deal with this? Like I've been given, I've been given like, like uh, I've got an uphill battle and mm -hmm. how am I going to deal with that? And and there are some games that are, are purposely super imbalanced for that. And that can be really fun. And, and, but you know that going in, right? You know that mm -hmm. you expect it. I think it's some, some games where you feel like you're supposed to have a fair shot and then you realize that you never had a fair shot all along and then you're like well why did i just play this what's what's the point of playing this again if i know that like if i don't have this there's no point in even going on for a few more hours so i think that's why most mm -hmm. people you know aspire for balance in games well why do we yeah. why do we why do we want balance in games is the same reason as why is the starting line of the 50 yard dash a straight line right it's that's it that's it. Why, mm -hmm. why would you want to run a race? Why would you want any competition to be imbalanced? And, and so, like, my, my response to that, and the answer is, uh, that I have, is an example in our game. We stack our Avalon deck so that the, uh, the bad guys win more often. And the reason why we do that is because we have found that that creates the best experience for us. You know, well, like, and so, like, and so, like, you know, in, in my in, in my worldview, at least, like, balance actually is there because for two reasons. One is to do your fifty-yard dash analogy, where because some games are a race, not all games, but some games are a race, and you want that that fairness in that race. And like, the other point is like, balance will oftentimes give a game longevity. But, like, there are many games, and in fact, I would say most of the games that, if you really think about it, what you want to play for is the funness of it, the experience yeah. of it. And that, I don't know if it requires balance. It, it, it will require it for, like, you know, uh, for longevity. For example, 
if brick and mortar were to uh, cease being new, we, we play it 10 more times, 15 more times, and we know all the buildings that come out, my, my appreciation for it may diminish because now there's no discovery of like what uh, what these buildings can do and interact. Like we've we for all, for all of it have stopped playing Glory to Rome. You know, like I haven't played it in like two years, and I, it's on everyone's deck. I can I see it on Matt's you know shelf. I see it on your shelf. We never play it again. It and well, it's not yeah, but I don't know if that's because of that. Uh, to me, I don't think we play Glory to Rome because a one hour game is a an oddity, right? It's well, not. No, sh- it's not short. En- it's not short enough to be a, a a short filler, and it's not long enough to be a full game. Uh, but we used to play it uh, very often as a closing game. Like you know, uh, we used to go. We play whatever you know our whatever our euro, and at the end, it's eleven o'clock, and we go glory to Rome, glory Rome. And we used to do that, but like you know, I'm just saying this is my this is my view on on balance. Where yeah, but now Ben's uh, in our group, and we never get done at eleven because you're sitting there thinking about the thing to do, and before mm, you know it, yeah. it's like Ben's, it's Ben's one a.m. Like, you know, I'm, 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 I am a, we should flush. I, yeah. But um, like, go go on, Ben. No, I, no, no. I, I what I was talking about was mad nothing to explore the room, and I realized I was just gonna like hijack, and you hadn't finished what you were about to say, so I was just gonna stop. But, but like. But, but 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 ultimately, like you know, I I feel like you know, like when I was playing uh, Game of Thrones LCG, mm-hmm. uh, what we found or what I found is that there would be better factions than other factions, yep. and like you know, uh, and and I and probably by design, and so at one point the Targaryens would be the the strongest faction, and then people still played other factions because they for all of it. Like the the challenge of fighting a uh, a stronger opponent, and and soon there'd be like you know new cards, and then that balance would change and uh, whatever. But like I I I don't know if you know the the LCG would have been any better if every single pack uh, made it so all the factions were balanced. But they try you know, to balance it. No, no, I don't think they do. I think they uh, I think. Not in per pack. I think like over the aggregate of over like you know like five, six, seven packs. Like maybe it'll cycle through, and now we have uh, like you know a a a balanced you know factioning. But like at any given time, like you know you're gonna f- at least the way I I saw it, mm-hmm. you're gonna find that there were dominant uh, packs and dominant decks because the cards were not inherently balance for everyone i i I, I have a hard time believing that that was their their intention what i believe is is that they they put out a deck thinking that okay this is this is good and really interesting but it's basically balanced and then through play people found out oh it's not really that balanced and so then they issue the issue another set but their goal each time especially in a in a game a ccg which is Right, which is a which is it, people have competitions for this for these sorts of uh, sorts of oh. things, right? I, I I don't I don't buy that they well, well, didn't like, think uh, that they were doing something balanced. Well, like I, like to me, like uh, real quick, I like the reason why you do it is so people keep on buying packs. I mean, I mean, like you know, like that, that's the reason why you uh, like you know here's the target here's the uh, the Tyrell deck. You know, this Tyrell deck is going to make Tyrell so much better now. 
I, I'm just saying for, from from my experience, that's what happened. <laughs> hmm. uh, so uh, you know, I don't, I, I can't speak to what their design and marketing and strategic plan was. I can only say that, like you know, there was n- there was never a time where all eight factions were uh, balanced as far as decks achieved. In fact, there would be what you'd get would be pieces of cards. Like here's a card that would work great if there was another card, and that other card wouldn't appear again, wouldn't appear for like two more decks or something. Yeah, but you, so but like in CCGs, you have an infinite number of monkeys on an infinite number of typewriters. They're going to find combinations that are better. They're no matter how well you try and balance things, they're going to find this is better than that, right? Maybe, but like you know, Targaryens throughout the whole uh, reign of it tend to be pretty strong. Lannister tended to be pretty strong. Like you know, you know the none of, you know, like, it, it wasn't, you would think that it would be balanced. The actual experience I had was like, no, there are better, uh, there are better houses than others. And the difference was uh, the people who would, uh, the, the, the only reason why another deck would, uh, another house would be a, a, a big house would be because they, des- they were better players. Like, given equal players, it, uh, being put in different, but you know, you know who would know the most about this? Trey. Trey, Trey, Trey has yeah. been in, uh, and and maybe he could uh, write something uh, or comment on this. Yeah, but so ben, I I haven't yeah. played uh, any of I haven't played the the collectible card games at all, so I I can't speak to that. I feel like my emotions on uh, on balance are sort of hypocritical, right? Because on the one hand, about five minutes ago, I kind of complained about how it was really annoying to turn over some cards late in the game. And be like, oh, okay, well, you know, when Elder turned over that card, he got something really amazing. And then when I turned over a card, I got crap, you know, and that felt like unfair. And, you know, you don't want to have moments when you're playing a game. Ultimately, you just don't want to have things where you say, this is unfair. And so, like, I get that. I've been, I've, I've played games where I've felt that way. And I try not to, like, let it dominate me. But, like, I've definitely been like, well, this faction's hard. This is, this is, <laughs> this feels unfair, you know? And I always try to be optimistic. Like, whatever, I can make it work. I have faith that it was play tested. that someone, there's a strategy behind this. It's just a harder strategy, but I can figure it out because I can do this, whatever. So I get that. At the same time, there's part of me that also feels like people overly obsess about balance in games. And they don't, enjoy that journey along the way like sometimes people spend so much time discussing if something is balanced often after just one gameplay i have one friend who went like when a game is over he'll be like that was really good but mm, i'm not sure it's balanced i'm like you played it just once you know ben, I'm, I'm like sitting right here i'm sitting right <laughs> <here>. <laughs> he's not in our group but um uh but like sometimes people like sometimes just like listen this game has such extraordinary and fun decisions. Enjoy that part. Enjoy that part. And don't worry about, like, was this designed? Was this balanced? Is this a, is this the path to victory that's balanced and fair? Like, just dive into it, you know? And I, I, I do feel like I'm being patronizing. I'm really not trying to be. But I, there, that's, like, what I aspire to be, you know? Because there are some games where I'm like, this was such a fun game. And someone spent the entire time, rather than just, like, playing the game, they spent that entire time fixating on whether it's balanced or not. Sure. And I feel like that's almost like a disservice to themselves. And and our group does – we probably have a slightly early trigger on that. We probably think we know the balance of a game before, we, before we're before we sure about it. I think that, that we can 
jump the gun. I think we also, though, have some of our favorite games. Shipyard is one of my favorite games. And it it is a very unplayed game because early because it didn't sell well and it didn't sell well because early in the day people said that there is an imbalance in the final scoring cards which there is slightly but you can sure. you can correct that and the game is worth it the game is is mm-hmm. is really amazing um i think that game players have a right to expect that the designers of the game have designed it and play tested it enough and this is a real problem mm-hmm. have play tested it enough to have to expect a general level of balance which means yeah, that they're yeah, there sure. some listen you're never going to until you have until you release it you're never going to have enough play testers in comparison to the number of people that play a widely released game within the first month they're going to discover things that you didn't know no matter what but what is unforgivable is when is when things that are found a minute after the game is released, right? The uh, Fantasy Flight I've had problems with for a long, long time back in the old days. Uh, they would release these huge, big games that they clearly did not play test well. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I will not play Twilight Imperium because uh, of Twilight Imperium Third Edition and how how. Uh, myopic the 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 design was and things that should have been seen in moment in the first play test weren't were ignored or not discovered and a lot of times that can be that could be designers that can be that could be production pressures we have to get it out in this quarter and we have to release it there's a lot of reasons that this can happen it can be a designer saying no that's actually fine and they don't listen to their play testers sometimes that can happen sometimes it just doesn't get play tested enough the original edition of game of thrones the board game had a situation in which Greyjoy could make a move in the opening round and kill Lannister. <laughs> literally destroy, literally end, end the game with a, a single move. You know, And you only have three or four pieces at the beginning of the game. How do you not see that? How do you not realize that, that this is something that can happen? That is, that speaks, yeah, that's for sure frustrating. That speaks, to like, a lack, that speaks to a lack of playtesting. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, when you get into, you know, when you get into asymmetrical powers, that's going to be a balance challenge, right? When you get to start player advantages and how have you mitigated that, that's a balance challenge. Uh, end game scoring cards, traditionally very, very hard to balance properly because until that, a whole yeah. bunch of people play the game, you don't realize which ones are which ones can be wailed on much more than other ones. And then combinatorial elements which we have in the game we just reviewed today where oh if i have the art gal the arts artist studio and i have the consignment shop that could be an absolute killer combination how do i know with all of these different buildings that there aren't tons of these combinations that when they come out uh, they they remove what should be a terse and balanced game and and uh, and make it a slaughter, right? And nobody so, nobody yeah. wants that. Nobody wants that. Right. Now I will say one thing that's also interesting to consider is what metric we use to determine balance. And I think that most people, the metric they use is the final score, and um, a lot of times that's pretty accurate. But there are times when a game can be very balanced 
and it's not reflected in the final score. And I think that sometimes people will dismiss a game because of that. Uh, like, you know, because it's always fun, right? We always love it when a game ends and we're all like two pieces, of, you know, apart from each other. You're like, sure. oh my God, this is crazy. It's so balanced because it's almost like the feet, like, like the like Granha, that happens all the time where it's like, we want all these different pads, but somehow we want to play three points away from each other. Like, that's really, really, really fun. That's like a, a cool thing to happen. But there are other games where like, I think you could even make an argument, you know, Food Chain Magnate famously has a lot of detractors because someone could end up with like, I don't know, like $55,000 and someone else has five. Uh, but you could like, sometimes <laughs> when you actually look at at the, the the steps that led to those scores, it's like the game was very close and at a certain point, you know, a damn broke and someone just like had a few, like yeah. two rounds of exponential. But it still means the game was very balanced, even though the final score looked very wild and sometimes i do think people go a little too crazy about final scores as like a as a judgment on a game's balance and um if you look at like sometimes you just can say hey if if i had just done this one thing and you had done this one thing just swap two different things it would have been reversed and i think to me that's a very balanced game yeah i i, I think there are definitely some so, uh, plenty of games where uh the scores are close but hey that that faction seems to win every close game, right? Well, mm-hmm. yeah. well let me ask you this, and, and we can close with this, because like we're already going a little over <laughs> again. As we knew. Uh, uh, it, yeah, we knew. Uh, so is it that balance uh, is basically starting and everyone has an equal opportunity to win? Or is balance... Uh, you know, starting and everyone having the opportunity to have fun. Mm. Wow. Because, oh. Yeah. Yeah. You know, mind blower. Because, like, in yeah. the end, like, you know, most people, when they complain about balance, they're they're talking about a lack of agency. Like, at this point, the game is now on rails, and I'm just doing stuff to to so that you know, Tom, who picked the 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 dominant strategy, dominant person, like, he's just going to win now. And, you know, we're just waiting for the hour and a half to pass so he can win. But like, you know, but I find that when I'm playing an asymmetric game or something where everyone is doing something and there is this, even if it's an illusion of agency, uh, like the, the actual reality of whether they can win or not is a little irrelevant. I'm, I'm just, just, I'm just, I'm posing this. I'm not even suggesting that this is a fact i'm just saying like i mean you're blowing my mind these are i mean this is a really that's a such a cool perspective on it and i think that when you talk about games being on rails like i think people don't like that obviously i don't think anyone really likes it when the game is on rails um there are some games out there that um are just say i'll be as balanced as you want me to like it's up to you to, to, Mm -hmm. to make that balance and like, don't blame me if you don't if it doesn't come out balanced because it's your job. If someone's if someone's going down this path and they always go down this path every single time, it's up to you to stop them and do something mm-hmm. about it. Because I, I as the game, I'm just giving you the pieces. I'm giving you a rule set, and it's sure. up to you. Maria would be that way, right? Would you say Maria would be that way, right? Like Maria, like you have here yeah. is a situation where uh, Austria is definitely at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to fight two two fronts, and everyone else kind of. Yeah, is in a better you, I, position, and, and we they, found that with the cost as well. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. And and like some people will blame the board game for that, 
Uh, because the thing is, if people don't pick up on that, or if people don't do that, then then they're like, well, this game is all like, this is ridiculous. Like, I barely had a shot, and Paul ran away with it. And the game's like, don't look to me for balance. That's up to you as players to do it. So there's also that element. Like, at what, how much of the balance do we want from the game, and how much is expected of the players? And is it like, is it, is that something that we want to have that responsibility put on us to police each other for the balance? Yeah, well, yeah, um, there. Uh, yeah, as far as so, I named a bunch of things that make balance harder. Here are things that make balance easier. Auctions make balance easier because a a, a percepted uh, imbalance between things can be can cost more in order for you to get sure. that. Player perception is a balancing uh, mechanism, right? We're playing Dune, and the you know Harkonnen is a very powerful player. The uh, the fremen objectives the, yes and and, and yep. the fremen are underpowered right yep the player perception balances the game because you are doing you are extracting harder bargains from one player than you are from another you're you're balancing it now at a certain point I think what Ben is saying Ben I think what you're saying is absolutely right that uh, at a certain point why do I have to do all the work why did, why didn't the game do a better job of balancing I think that that can become a valid but you know the to some degree, player perception is a very good balancing mechanism, and you know, and then there are balancing specific mechanisms, like we just mentioned with uh, with Gaia Project, where you go first but you choose last, and so on and so forth. There, there are lots of things like that. For me, I, I think that there, for as many different game players as there are, there are as many different definitions of what is fun for them. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. I, so I definitely think that. A balance can be more nuanced than that. However, I think for the vast majority of game players, um, a perception that the game is stacked against them is going to impact their their ability to experience fun within that game. I think there needs to be a, you know, it, it may be if you are more into having fun that is separate from winning or losing or doing well, if that is your definition of fun in a game, then I think that your uh, that your tolerance for balance, I think a 60-40 game is going to be absolutely fine for you. That I only have mm-hmm, a 40% sure. chance of winning. Uh, whereas a person that 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 uh, seeking the fun is is having hard decisions over and over yeah. and over again and choosing them, and choosing them well. I think that person is going to be looking more for a 55-45 split as being fair enough for them, balanced enough sure. for them. So I think that that's really a calculation there. No, it's a, it's it's an interesting. Thing. I, I just you know I, I thought of this topic because like uh, I feel like it's more nuanced than uh, I generally give it credit for. Like you know I think it really like for, I think Maria had really informed me on this where I go like you know Austria is a low percentage chance of winning. <laughs> You know, like, you know, if if three people of equal skill were to play and experience, I think Austria is going to lose. I, and strangely enough, I, I take issue with that. I think that the more equal skill people are, the better chance Austria has. Because if if they're equal in skill, then the p- players then the players realize that knocking Russia out means blank wins versus blank wins, right? And so on and so forth. So so there's a there's a balance built into it. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, I am not uh, uh, as experienced as you. But, like, you know, uh, at least from at this point in my Maria, uh, mm-hmm. uh, it, it seems that way. Uh, and, and it doesn't prevent... This is metagame, from, isn't it? 
like, you know, <laughs> this I, is metagame for our, our yes, ongoing game, yes. right? You're yeah, just setting it that's up, right? right? For, 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 for your game and my, my Nyx, right? Like, but like, yeah. but the, but it, in, it doesn't make me not want to play Maria. In fact, it makes me want to play Maria more mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of the asymmetry, because the lack of balance. Because in the end, when I'm playing Maria, I'm not playing to win necessarily. I want to win, but I'm playing for the experience. Right. You know, and, and I think, I think a lot of people, if I, I don't know if this is true, maybe I'm I'm a weird duck in this way, but I think if a lot of people think about it, that, that's what they're really playing games for, not for the win, but you know the the experience that they are getting uh, to get to the win. Like for example, there's nothing worse for me than to have a blowout for me to just completely crush everyone, because you know that's I'm not interacting, I'm not having, I'm not really playing i'm you know it's almost like like i say on rails yeah you know what i really want is, the, is that why the it rest... never happens say again is that why it never happens because you you, you hate it so much uh, zing you got me tom <laughs> <laughs> but yeah but anyway that, that's yeah. just my thought, thought on balance and just and just you know just to piggyback on that real quickly you know you know you, i love forbidden stars and um i Almost every single time I played it, I played with the same exact faction. I think I've only played a different faction once. I'm always I forget what they're called. They're just like the generic they're the blue guys. The Marines. They, the Marines. The, the Space Marines. Yeah, they're the most they're the they're generic. Their cards are not very flashy, and I always lose. But every time I play and and, and not I'm sorry, not only do I only every every not only do I always lose, but online people generally agree that they are the hardest faction to play. Although then there's always people say, no, but they're actually, I always win with them, you know? Yep. But it's, it's sort of like they're not flashy. They're a hard faction to play. And yet I keep going back to them because I'm like, every time I play, I get like a little bit better or I sharpen my strategy. And I'm like, I know someday I'm going to win. And it's like that imbalance is, excites me to play that faction over, that unflashy, boring faction over and over <laughs> and over again to make it work. Plus you're yeah. racist against orcs. That should be fair. Yeah, um, yeah. Gentlemen, uh, again, another another fantastic uh, the discussion between the three of us. Again, we do not have time for a game, <laughs> for a game sommelier. <laughs> we don't. We don't. We tried. I mean, I was feeling so good when we got through the news in like 15 minutes. I was so like, fast. oh, we got it. We got it. No problem. We're going to end early. And we are, once again, over time. So I will tell everybody that we have a YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash GameBrainPod, a Facebook group, Discord channel. Get in those board game sommelier requests. We are starting to build up some because we keep not doing them. But we, <laughs> we, would, like to have, we would like to have even more. Uh, gentlemen, thanks again. This was absolutely wonderful. You've been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You know him as Alfred on the show. More information on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. You can also reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks so much for listening and go play some games with friends online or virtually make some friends with games.